Spirit of a living God, we thank you for your word, that the entrance of your word brings light, life, and understanding. Even as we navigate the text of scripture to hear what you have to say, we pray that you hear our hearts and help us, you know, concerning this journey, adventure, that you are glorified and the church is edified in Jesus' name. And let the church say, Amen. All right, we are in chapter number eight today. Oops, on Sunday we looked at chapter number seven. If you haven't taken the time, please go back and read chapter number seven. Quite an, an, an exhaustive read. But 60 verses, God, spend the time to look at chapter number seven of the book of Acts. The life of the first um, uh, deacon who was matured. And this was the guy who had to teach the Sanhedrins uh, about their history and they had no clue. And I said to the church on Sunday that it's unfortunate that we look at the scripture and think that he was the one on trial. But if you look at the scriptures properly, you realize that actually the Sanhedrins were the ones on trial. And we ended the, 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 the verse with the Bible saying that how, um, you know, how, you know, he was killed, but he, he, he was stoned to death. But in the midst of that, he prayed for them that the Lord should forgive them in the midst of all of these things. The Bible says while he was being coerced and pressured, he stood still. My God. In the midst of all of these accusations and attacks and allegations and the attack, physical attack, the Bible says he stood still and then knelt down to pray for them. It's interesting how I say to the church that when we have confrontations and altercations, that the best posture is to stand still. And the Bible speaks of Ephesians chapter number six, you know, and, and talked about the old armor of God and eventually says that I've done all to histamine to stand. And and Stephen exemplified that for us. He stood even when the Sanhedrin had pounced on him, took him out of the court, and then began to throw stones on him. What he did, he stood. I don't know how, how, how he had the supernatural strength. And dunaomai, that's the word in the Greek, which means strength, and dunaomai. I don't know where he got his strength from, but he stood against the oppositions from the Sanhedrins, the Sadducees. And we ended with the Bible saying that, and he gave up the spirit, like Jesus gave up the spirit. I have a book called Phases, and the book I, I spoke about, you know, um, similarities between Joseph and, and Jesus. And, and it's interesting if uh, someone was saying to me, um, I, I'm trying to find someone from the Old Testament that has a similarity with Jesus. I've got a book, and if you want it, let us know. But for today, we want to look at the life of the Apostle Paul. Before we go into chapter number nine of the book of Acts, you know, um, one of the things you must realize in chapter number seven, as we ended, the Bible says that it was the Apostle Paul, Saul, by the way, who held the clothes of these guys who threw stones at Stephen. So that guy, Saul of Tarsus, will be a prominent voice we find in chapter number nine and, and, and beyond. But, but for now, we want to look at, uh, go into chapter number eight, because if you have your Bibles quickly, turn with me to your Bible to the book of Acts chapter number 7, we are going to look at the last verse. Acts chapter number 7, and I'll share my screen in a moment, but um, so just have your Bibles, you know, by, by your side, because I believe that, you know, there are things that I might share with you that you may not um, understand until you, right. The Bible says um, in verse number 58 of chapter number 7, Acts, Act, 50, Act 7, verse 58. All right, we are good to go. Acts chapter number 7, verse 58, Facebook and YouTube. Thank you. The Bible says, And they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. This young man will become a very prominent character in two chapters later. We're going to get there by the grace of God. 
And the Bible says, And the stone Stephen, as he was calling on the name of the Lord, saying, Lord, receive my spirit. Then the Bible says, He knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord. The Bible says, uh, Lord, I... Do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, he died. It's interesting that every believer who died in the New Testament, the word sleep was used. So we realize that Stephen died praying for them and saying to them, Lord, do not charge this against them. It's interesting if we can understand what he meant by that. Do not charge this against them. These were the guys who had stoned him, the Sadducees and the guys in the cities. And, and, and instead of him to curse them out and say, well, damnation has come upon you. He prayed for them and said, Lord, do not charge this against them. So we ended chapter number seven with that testimony um, of Stephen. Now we want to jump into chapter number eight. Hopefully I will be able to share my screen with you today. Let's see if we have it there. Here we go. Chapter number eight of the book of... I'm there, yes. Chapter number eight of the book of Acts. Let's read the scriptures. Let's see what the scripture has to say. The Bible says, now Saul was consenting to his death. We can flash back to chapter number 7 when Saul held the cloth. The Bible says, now Saul was consenting to his death. And then the Bible says, at, the, at, at that time, a great persecution rose against the church which was at Jerusalem. Right. So remember, one of the things you must realize is that when I give the classifications, I'm going to take it back to my screen now because this will help you. I want to give the classifications of how the message transmitted. Remember in chapter number one, Jesus says to them, and you shall be witnesses first in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the outermost part of the earth. So what I want to do right now is bring you to my little word and draw this for you. So Jesus gave them the great commission. And it says, number one, you shall be my witness. Uh, you shall be my witness. One moment, guys. First, number one, in Jerusalem. All right, you're writing. Number two, in Judea. Number three, in Samaria. And number four, to the outermost part. To the outermost part. So these are the four places. First, you shall be my witness is in Jerusalem. Number one. Then in Judea, number two. Then in Samaria, number three. And to the outermost part of the earth, number four. Let me look at your faces as I do this together. That's more like it. Now, in Jerusalem, we'll find that, you know, all these things happening was happening in Jerusalem. That was the capital, the, the headquarters of the, of the church. You know, it was happening in Jerusalem. But as you look at chapter number eight, so the Bible says, let's go back again to chapter number eight, if you have your Bibles. It says in chapter 8, I have it here. It says, at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. Why was the persecution there? Because of Stephen's death. It gave the Pharisees and the Sadducees an open door to persecute the church. But it's interesting. That's what the Bible says in Jerusalem. And then it says, and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Now, if you look at this, if you look at your screen again, you realize that you have there was a, a, a persecution here, and because of the persecution here, it has spread to Judea and Samaria. What does that tell you? It's interesting that when you look at the scripture, when, when, when Jesus says that you shall be witnesses first in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost. We have no clue what will cause them to be witnesses in Judea and, and, and Samaria. 
It was the persecution. So we realize that this guy, the Christians, the early church were persecuted in Jerusalem. Now Jerusalem is about to fade into Judea and Samaria. And I told you the last time that you look at the scriptures, you realize that chapter number 1 to chapter number 7 deals with Judea and Samaria, right? Uh, and that... And, uh, this is Jerusalem. Then chapter number 8 to chapter number 12 will deal with Judea and Samaria. So chapter number 1 to 7 will deal with this guy. So Jerusalem ended with the killing of Stephen. Now we're about to go into what Judea and Samaria, which will be chapter number 8 to chapter number 12. And after that, we'll look at what uh, uh, Samaria 8 to 12, and then the uttermost part of the earth will be what? Chapter number 13 and above. Now, chapter number 1 to chapter number 7 is very important, you understand. This was the early church in Jerusalem. Now, chapter number 8 to chapter number 12 will deal with what? Will deal with the churches in Judea and in Samaria. And then we have chapter number 13 to the end, which is the uttermost part of the earth. So, right now, you and I want to deal with the church that was in Judea and Samaria. But let me give you, give, give you a bit of history. The word Judea is a Greek word for the name Judah. Judah is the Hebraic name for the Hellenistic name that is called Judea. So when you call Judea, J-U-D-E-A, is the same word as Judah, J-U-D-A-H. And what is Judah? Judah is the southern kingdom. Remember in the time of David, he had a son called Solomon. We had one dynasty at the time of, at the time of David, one dynasty. But David had a son by the name of Solomon who walked evil, eventually walked evil, you know, um, brought in gods from his concubines. It was a very messy time in the Solomonic dynasty. And Solomon had a son that was by the name of Rehoboam. However, David had a captain at the time who was by the name of Jeroboam. And because so Solomon was acting out of order, um, that the elders came together and said to Solomon, we cannot allow you to continue messing up with our God, our monotheistic God. And because of that, they made Jeroboam the leader of the northern kingdom. And because of that, I need to draw this. It was formerly in the time of the Davidic dynasty. Let's call this the Davidic dynasty. It was just one kingdom. Now, because David died with having a son called Solomon, now we now have what we call the Solomonic dynasty. Solomonic. In the Solomonic dynasty, it was still one, but Solomon, because he had it had a lot of concubines and wives, and his his, his concubines had made him turn away from the Lord, and then the, and then the, the the elders of Israel at the time were frustrated with Solomon, and they told him to to stop his ways, but Solomon would not stop. And what did they do? They decided to go to a man by the name of Jeroboam. Who was he? Jeroboam was the captain of David's army. And they decided to make Jeroboam their king and they went to what they call Samaria in the north. While the, 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 the remaining, so ten tribes went with Jeroboam and two tribes um, went with Rehoboam which was the son of Solomon. Now Jeroboam was the captain of David and then Rehoboam was the son of Solomon. And this Rehoboam had to add what you call the one dynasty but two tribes. The tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin um, constituted what you call the seventh kingdom and they were under Rehoboam. So you have Rehoboam here. And they went where they went to the south. These these guys went to the north, and these guys came to the south. Okay, they came to the south. S O U T H. So they came to the south, and they they had one dynasty still, but two tribes: the tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Judah. 
Now it's interesting as you look at the history, realize that much later the Assyrians came and the Assyrians came and took captive of the northern kingdoms. And one of the things that the Assyrians would do when they, cap when they take old captains, their lay siege, they would intermarry you with their citizens and then so, so, that, you can lose, so, so that you lose your identities. Um, so the, 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 the northern kingdom we are taken by the Assyrians, but much later the southern kingdom we are taken by the Babylonians, okay? Uh, and, and as you look at the scripture, uh, you realize that the word Judah is actually used oftentimes of the southern kingdom. And Israel is often used a lot of times of the northern kingdom. So when you hear the word Judea, it speaks of the south. Now Judea actually, you know, surrounds Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is in Judea. Now the Bible said you shall be witnesses first in Jerusalem, then in Judea. What it meant that the focus was actually in the city, was actually in Jerusalem from chapter number one to chapter number seven. Now we are looking at what looking at Judea and then to Samaria going north. Does that make sense? The difference between Samaria and Judea is that Sam Samaria are the Samaritans. These were the people of the northern kingdom that was taken by the Assyrians, right? And the northern kingdom and southern kingdom never used to they were enemies. Until, you know, well, they were enemies. Now we have the, the, the southern kingdom that constituted of Judah, right, and Benjamin. And we have the Davidic dynasty with Judah. But, but it's interesting when you hear the word Judea, what comes to your mind, the most important thing, that word Judea, what comes to mind is speaking of Judah. That name called Judea what was, was, was changed by a Roman emperor called uh, Hadrian. It changed the name because three times uh, the, the East Judea uh, tried to revolt against the Roman system. Uh, and because of that, it, trying to indict the Jews, it changed the name from Judea to Palestine. It was called Syria Palestinia. Alright, so that, that, that portion, that southern kingdom was originally called Judea. But the name was changed to Syria, Palestina. Why? Because what he was trying to do, it was trying to resurrect again the Philistines. Because the word Palestinian are the same word as same word as Philistines. Trying to resurrect the Philistines who are enemies of the Jews. Does that make sense? So there's a whole lot of history here. But it's interesting. I don't want to spend all the time right now. It's interesting that what you are, they're fighting about even in this current dispensation. About that piece of real estate. That piece of real estate was originally the uh, belonged to Judea. That was Judah that was changed to Syria, Palestinia uh, by the Emperor Hadrian. But again, that's another discussion today. But the Bible says, if you go back to the scripture again, the Bible says that there was persecution in Jerusalem because of Stephen's death. And that the Christians had to move. So let's flip our Bibles again to the screen. Let's roll. Now, that this says that at the time there was a great persecution arose against the church. I mean, it rose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. That was the, the, the headquarters of the church. That was the first church. It was the church where you had the, the, the eldership council. And the Bible says, and they were all scattered throughout. They were all scattered. That was scattered in the Greek is the word diaspero. That was spero means to scatter with seed. Now, the words that they were scattered, it meant that they dispersed. The word spiral means to disperse the seed, to disperse. So the Bible says that they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. That's the next part. Chapter number 8 to chapter number 12 would deal with Judea and Samaria. The Bible says, except the apostles. What does that tell you? That the church spread, but the apostles remained. Are you understanding, church? The church went through persecution and one of the things you must realize that one of the things that grew the church in the early days was persecution. Persecution was God's way of growing the church. Persecution was God's way of multiplying the hops. 
persecution of was God's way of you could say advancing the kingdom. But it's interesting that as these Christians, early Christians, went through persecution, and that persecution was so much, I don't have the time to talk about it today. The Bible says that the apostles remained in Jerusalem, and, and, and I think that's a very good uh, word for us as leaders. You know, when when the church is going through a lot of shakings, our, our, our positions as leaders is to stand firm. The Bible says that they remained in uh, the the Bible says uh, except the apostles and devout men carried Stephen to his burial. To realize that the reason why there was an opera was because of the death of Stephen and because of that the church went through persecution. Now that Stephen had died, it gave them an open door to fight all the holy Christians and because of that they had to disperse. So we are in chapter number 8 and we are seeing that the church was not just 8,000 on 10,000. We found that in the early chapters. But the church had grown so much that they dispersed around. And guess what happened? They dispersed into Samaria and Judea. So they continue their work while the apostles remained. All right, does that make sense? They dispersed into Samaria and then to Judah. Judah is in the south, Samaria is in the north. But the apostles remained in Jerusalem. Does that make sense? So the reason why this is important because the apostles, they took care of the church that was in Jerusalem while the church expanded. Then the Bible says, And devout men came and carried, his carried Stephen to his burial. And made great lamentations over him. They buried him. I'm not, I'm not trying to speak against cremation here. But we realize that Stephen was buried. And I think the reason why the Bible used the word burial and not cremation. Was because it speaks of the prophetic destiny of the church. That there will be a day of resurrection. Cremating the body. I'm not saying that's a wrong thing. There are a lot of environmental reasons why that is done. But as believers we believe that. You must understand that cremation was a pagan practice. It was not a biblical godly practice. It was a pagan practice. And there might be some sanitational or environmental hazards um, for the reason. For, that's the reason why people do the, uh, the cremation. But it was not a biblical model of, uh, of burial. So cremation was not. But burial was. And the purpose of burial for the believer is that the body will be planted in the ground and will resurrect again. So we see that it's very important that the believer's practice is burial and not cremation. And the purpose of burial is that it gives us a, pers a perspective of a future resurrection. Are you hearing church? It gives us a perspective of a future resurrection. And the Bible says, uh, as for Saul, now look at verse number 3. As for Saul, he made havoc. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church. Saul was an enemy of the church. And Saul again and again will be sorry for what he's done. But the Bible says that Saul made great havoc of the church. Entering every house and dragging. Now this guy was serious. He would enter every house and he would drag. He, he realizes that the church had grown and they had expanded and he knew that their base was not just Jerusalem. They'd gone into Judea and Samaria. Guess what he would do? He would knock house to house, badge into houses and drag them. He was a real guy. And dragging off men and women, committed them to prison. This guy was actually up there. Not only was he the one that held their clothes, it was also the one who believed that who instigated the fact that, you know, stoned that guy. But it's interesting that the Bible says that he, you know, was creating a great havoc for the church. That's what the Bible says. A great havoc for the church. Entering into every house, dragging men and women. I mean, the, oh my God, the, the, the wickedness of Saul was unfathomable. You cannot be unfathomable. It was so wicked. And the Bible says he will commit them to prison. But what don't realize that whenever Paul would, Saul would do that, it gets a rank 
within within the uh, the Sanhedrin Council. Or you could say he was venerated for the one who would go and get the Christ, early Christians. So he, he, he had accolades from the Roman system. He had accolades from the Sanhedrin. He had accolades from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So Paul or Saul would do this because he wanted accolades. He was actually very, very intentional about his Judaic practice. And the Bible says, And Saul made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging men and women, committed them to prison. The Bible says, Therefore, read it now, Bible says, therefore, where are we now? Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. You see that? Persecution made them preach the word. They were not scattered and just stayed in their houses. They were scattered to preach the word. So you realize that God used persecution as a mechanism to evangelize. So persecution is a, is a missional technique or missional apartheid. Or missional technology. So the Lord will use persecution as a missional technology to advance the church. Write that down. The Lord used uh, persecution as a missional technology. Right? You to write that down. As a missional technology to advance the church. The Lord used persecution as a missional ad a technology. And even us as believers, when we go through persecution, it is an opportunity to witness Jesus. Persecution in our lives is an opportunity to witness Jesus. God is glorified in our suffering. If I suffer with him, I will reign with him. And that's why the book of Philippians spends the entire epistle talking about the Christian persecution. But the Bible says that they went about preaching the word. Then Philip, now this is not the apostle Philip. This is the deacon Philip. You find him much later as we read chapter 22 uh, and so on. The Bible says, then Philip went to the city of Samaria. He went up north. It's interesting that you might read this scripture and say, well, it, it, it is not, it's not just something you read and just throw your face. Samaria and Judea were enemies. In fact, it was a taboo for the Samaritans and the Jews to come together, the Jews from Judea. It was a taboo for them to come together. Nobody would ever, no Jew would want to even associate themselves with a Samaritan. And that's the reason why you read in chapter number 4 of the book of John, that when Jesus was with the woman by the well, it was a big shocker for the woman. Why? Because he said, you Jews have nothing to do with us Samaritans. So realize in scripture that the Jews and the Samaritans were enemies. Does that make sense? The Jews and the Samaritans were enemies. Complete enemies. They never had relationship. So for Stephen to go to Samaria, it must be the power of the Holy Ghost. Because Stephen was, sorry, Philip was a Jew. And Philip could not, there was no way he would want to go there. So we believe that this was not a choice of Philip. Now, that word Philip is an interesting word. You know me, I'll do my, my study, I'll do my finding. That word Philip is the word Philippos. And the word Philippos is the word Phil and Lipos or Hippos. The word Hippos speaks of a horse. Now, the word Philip means friend of a horse or a lover of a horse. Now, follow me slowly. I need to drink water for this one. Philip means the friend of a horse or the lover of a horse. And it's interesting that much as you look later, the Enoch, you're probably going to read later, you realize that Philip was the one who was sent to overtake why was Philip able to overtake? I said to them, because he was a lover of a horse. Philip was able to overtake because he was a friend of a horse. And the horse will overtake the chariot. That's the reason why. But the Bible says, and then Philip went to the city of Samaria. So the Bible says, he went to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. These guys were the northern kingdom people. 
They had no dealing with the Jews. These guys, their temple was on Mount Gerizim. And the temple of Judea, those the Jews, was in Jerusalem. So the Jews and the Samaritans never crossed path at all. So Jesus went to this place and preached to them Christ. What did Jesus preach? Oh, sorry, what did Philip preach? Christ. I say to you again that the book of Acts is the book of Christ. It went to uh, Samaria and preached Christ to them. It didn't preach prosperity. It didn't preach seven, seven ways of success. It didn't preach five ways to prophesy. It didn't preach how to be the next millionaires. It, millionaire, it didn't preach on the seven mountains. Nah, you're going to hate me for this. It didn't preach how to uh, handle to. It didn't preach how to position yourself as a bride or your sister's spouse or to wait for the Lord. It didn't preach uh, the end time. It preached Christ. Are you hearing church? When Stephen went to Samaria, all they needed to hear was Christ. Jerusalem has heard about Christ. And that the people are spread into Samaria and Judea. And we believe that Philip was one of the people who also spread. But he went to Samaria and he preached Christ. The Bible said, preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded to the things spoken by Philip. The multitudes that were there. Now, but remember, those in the northern, those in Samaria were not just the Samaritans. Remember, the persecution has moved the Jews and other tribes that believed into different parts of the earth at the time. But this actually space was for those that were in Samaria. And the Bible says that those that were in Samaria, they, the Bible says, and the multitudes with one accord, heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. I, I told you before that these guys. The deacons, like Stephen, they were performing miracles. So you find another Garrigan, another deacon by the name of Philip also performing miracles. I believe, you might get me wrong right now, I believe the establishment of deaconries in the church was not just to serve tables. Deaconries were anointed to bring healings. I'm, I'm making it even more minor. I don't believe that deacons are just there to, to fix tables. I believe that the deacons were anointed, but there was also an impartation that comes with deaconry. Hear me again. There's an impartation that comes with deaconry. And one of the things we find in the body of Christ in the current church is that we have subjugated, we have relegated the deacons to people who deal with welfare and warfare and deal with church matters. When we find this scripture, the deacons were casting demons. The deacons were working in miracle signs and wonders. The deacons were laying hands on the sick, just like Philip and Stephen. And this might be my conjecture, but I believe that everyone that they laid hands on when the apostle laid hands on the seven guys, I believe that they imparted them with the gift of healing, the gift of miracles, the gift of signs and wonders. And I do believe that the very manifestation of dickery was not just to arrange tables. The very first manifestation of dickery is to walk in the supernatural. Dickens were meant to walk in the supernatural. So we find Stephen... Walking in the supernatural, casting out diseases and demons uh, and, and doing all sorts of miracles. We'll find the same thing from Philip. These guys are deacons. We haven't even read the, the miracles of much of the apostles. Apart from Peter, you read in chapter number 3. We haven't read much of the apostles doing miracles. But now we've read of two deacons. So you realize that deaconry is not just a position given to people to solve church conflicts. Our position given to people to be the the, the head of the, the the head of the food committee or, or head of uh, the, the, the the conflict resolution committee or, or head of the financial committee, the deacon we are empowered to work miracle signs and wonders, and I do not understand why the current church do not empower the deacons to work in this level of grace. 
And I do believe that the first require the first qualification of a deacon, in my own conjecture, is that you are able to walk in the supernatural. Are you hearing church? You are able to walk with it. So we have to we have to redefine dickenry again. Because what we call dickenry in the current church is not dickenry. We are people that are gifted with helps. And there's a difference between helps and dickenry. Because what we find in the current church are people that all they know what to do is to serve tables. Why those things are important? But that is not the prerequisite of a deacon. We find the scripture, the Bible says, full of the Holy Ghost. You find that in chapter number 6. And an evidence of their filling of the Holy Ghost was that they performed miracle signs and wonders. So I needed to understand that the dickens have to come back bring back the dickens that should be a hashtag bring back the dickens bring back the dickens bring back the men of god the women of god who do not just serve table who are not just leaders of a group or leaders of a committee but men that will work miracle signs and wonder i believe that for every church the dickens should be the one who will be pioneers of miracles the bible says philip hearing and seeing the miracles which he did he did miracles they heard the miracles and they saw the miracles. The miracles which he did. I'm a bit hot. The miracles which he did. Are you following? Bring back the dickens. That's a good hashtag. Bring back the dickens. Bring back the biblical, the, the biblical dickens. And, and the Bible says, in verse number 7, For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Can you imagine? This was not an apostle. This was a deacon. Just like Stephen. We've read so far just one apostle who did miracle. And it was Peter and John who healed a man by the gate called Beautiful in chapter number 3. And now what we are finding is the second time we've seen a deacon move in this level of the supernatural. I beg you, if you're a pastor, hear me. That your deacons are not just there to count money or count table or serve table, or be in charge of a group, the building committee, the fundraiser committee, the conflict resolution committee. That is not the purpose of Dickenries. The purpose of Dickenries was to move in the supernatural. I believe that this was a natural impartation and endowment that came upon a few select people who would move in supernatural wonders at the same time fix tables. Does that make sense? We should not just be table fixers. We should be the body fixers also. Which will be the body fixes. Thank you so much. And the Bible says, and the great joy came around the city. It was a great joy. This was Samaria. There was great joy in the city. And the Bible said, but there was a certain man called Simon. But it's an adverse conjecture or a conjunction. It's not like and, which is a support, supportive one. The word but. It's called an adverse, an adverse conjunction. And it's interesting how the Bible says that there was great joy in the city, but, and the purpose of adverse conjunction is to oppose the narrative. We are excited there was joy in the city. There was miracle signs and wonders, but there's a narrative that has come, but, a negation, a negation. The Bible says, but, there was a certain man called Simon. Who previously, follow me slowly, I'm going to share something with you in a moment. Who previously practiced sorcery. This was Luke, accounting of a man who previously practiced sorcery. You will see in a moment if he stopped. The Bible says, in the city and astonished the people of Samaria. So in a nutshell, 
Philip had come to mess up his market. Remember Acts chapter number 16 when Paul and Silas, they met the damsel, the masters of the damsel, which he made money for, they got frustrated and put them in prison. It's interesting that this guy by the name of Simon was the one who was the boss of the town. He performed the supernatural, which was superficial magic. So it seemed to me that this, the Samaritans or the Samarians, they liked the supernatural or they liked something that is actually, uh, you, you could call it, um, uh, uh, they like the metaphysical. That's a better word. They like the metaphysical because it contains both the supernatural and the superficial. And, and then, for some reason, this guy called Simon has been astounding them with a lot of magic and sorcery. And the Bible says, uh, uh, for, uh, for he was claiming that he was someone great. So he claimed that he had a name. Remember in chapter number chapter number four and chapter number five. Remember when they were about to uh, stone the disciples and, and Gamaliel said that there they, they were men that rose up before who claimed to be somebody. And because they didn't last, then the time passed away. Uh, so this guy, we believe, was one of the guys at the time who was claiming to be somebody because of his magical power. You will realize in a moment that he used the magic of Rome to operate. It was a demon of Rome or a demon of, uh, or you might call it Astate. Uh, but the Bible says that he, he, he claimed to be someone great. He claimed that he was someone great. There was no affirmation from a deity, from a God. Bible says that when Jesus was baptized, God said, this is my beloved son, hear him. Jesus didn't need the apostles to, to claim to, 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 to uh, sort of uh, claim his name to be great. The father, you know, uh, made a public declaration of Jesus. But this guy was claiming to be great. And, and that, that reminds me of a lot of Christians as well. I, I, I think your greatness should not be self-acclaimed. Your, your greatness will come from someone else's testimony. You know, your, your greatness should not be, I'm a great man. Someone should see that you're a great man because you've done great stuff. Does that make sense? You cannot just beat your chest and say, I'm a great man. You're not a great man until someone affirms that. So this guy said, I'm a great man. He thought he was someone great. And to whom they all gave heed, they all gave attention. This guy was so great in their eyes that he stole their attention from them. It's interesting how Philip had come to his domain. And the Bible says that to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, everyone in Samaria gave heed to this guy because he was the greatest. He was the magician who worked in Samaria. And because we believe that the Samaritans believe in the metaphysical, they had admonished him to be a great guy. But now that Philip had come, they wondered, who is this other great guy? Because the last time we checked, there was Simon, but now there was Philip. And the Bible say, this man, they said, this man is the great power of God. Now, this is mind-blowing. This man is the great power of God. I want to make this very clear. I hear a lot of people say stuff like, I am the move of God. We have to be very careful with this self-acclamation. And I've heard a lot of Christians make that confession that I am the move of God. I am the power of God. You have to be very careful because this was what Simon did. Simon said that he was the power of God. He was the power manifested in flesh he was the he was the power he was the dunamis of god and it's interesting how we sort of idolize these names and then we we take the glory of, of glory of god for for ourselves and i see a lot of young people say stuff like oh i am the mover you are not the move of god brother come on baby you're not the move of god and that's what someone is doing you must understand what these guys called him they called him the move of god he did, he did magic and, 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 and sorcery and, and the people felt like it was God. It was a false prophet. And that's why you have to be very careful of people who move in power. We must understand, not trying to disparage anyone here, but we realize that these guys were moved by metaphysical experiences. And they said that he was the move of God. That's what they say. This man is the great power of God. This man is the great power of God. 
He was Simon and he was the great. That's the confession of him. He was the great power of God. That's what he told him. So all the, all the mag magic is done and, uh, and secretic practices is done and, uh, and the sorcery is done and the divination is done. He ascribed it to be the move of God. So they said that he was the move. So that was his title, the move of God. Be very careful that you don't idolize these things from these eisegetic practices and heretic practices. I've seen believers who say that they are the move of God. Ladies and gentlemen, be very careful with these terms, just like this guy, Simon. And the Bible says in 11, And they heeded to him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. That's what the Bible says we are here. He's astonished them for a long time with his sorceries. It's astonished the people with his sorcery. These guys, they have been indoctrinated with his sorcery practices. They were blown away by the revelations of his practices. They saw miracles that he's done under divination and, and demonic practices. Bible said they, they, he, he had astonished them. They, they heeded to him because he had astonished them with his doctrines for a long time. He has been manipulating the people. Now comes Stephen, wants to spoil his market. Now comes Stephen, wants to end this trade. And when he manipulates the people, he takes money from them. Are you hearing? So that's what he does. And you see the reason in the moment. He manipulates the people and takes money from them. And the Bible says that he has been doing that for a long, long time. That is scripture. He has been doing that for a long, long time. So he was very well known in Samira. Remember, the believers are spread into Judea and Samira. Samira is in the northern part. And we understand they like metaphysical activities, supernatural, superficial activities. And for some reason, they had heeded to this guy because he performed miracles. He performed some miracles and, and all of these practices. But I, I, I like what I hear. The Bible said that he, they were astonished because he's done it for a long time. They had been messed up for a long time. Be very careful how you stay in a place that tells lies. Be very careful how you listen to lies because very soon the lie might become a true. It might become true. Myth true. Man become truth. Be very careful how you consistently remain under lying teaching, lying practices. Because very soon you'll be blinded to the truth. I have seen people who remain in some heretic churches and have been blinded by the lies. And when they hear the truth, they, for them the truth is a lie. Be very careful how you endorse lies. Because very soon you have no conscience to tell the difference between a lie and the truth and truth. These guys have lived a lie so long. That this guy has been mesmerizing them with the practices. They didn't know what was true. And now Philip had come into that same territory to preach a gospel different from Simon's gospel. So we must understand what Stephen did. It was the power of the Lord that was able to break. That word was what Paul used in chapter number 3 of the book of uh, Galatians. All foolish Galatians who bewitched you. The word is what? Biscaino. These Samari Samaritans have been bewitched or Samarians have been bewitched. Simon was bewitching the people for a long time. They were under a spell. These guys were under a spell for a long time. And be very careful. I'll say one more time. Be very careful listening to, to, to false narratives and, and erratic teachings because very soon that might become your truth. So these guys were bewitched in Samaria. He was the God of Samaria. He was the one who was known to be the, the, the move of the power of God in Samaria. And the Bible says, but when they believed Philip, they eventually... So there must be some power of the Holy Ghost to convict them. The Bible says, but when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus. Now, Philip did two things. He preached the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus. Two things, the kingdom of God 
and the name of Jesus. And the Bible says, both men and women we are baptized. Both brothers and sisters we are baptized. So what did Philip do? Went to Samaria, preached the word of the Lord and the kingdom of God. Both men and women were baptized. And then Simon himself, this is the part now, Simon himself also believed. Be very careful. Believe Jesus is different from believing in Jesus. Demons, the Bible says in um, James chapter number 2 verse 19, that the demons believe and they tremble. Believing Jesus is not conversionism. conversionism. It is believing in Jesus because the demons believe Jesus. <laughs> Alright. It's called easy believism. I need to write that down. Where's my pen? Easy believism. Let's go there. All right. That's what they call. Easy believism is believing something but not putting your faith in it. Are you hearing church? It's believing something. It is one thing. Let me actually read the book of John 3.16 in the original Greek text. For God so loved the word. That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes into him, not just in him, but into him, that word is a trust word, pistio. So it's one thing to believe, it's another thing to believe in. Are you following me? So this guy by the name of Simon believed, he didn't believe in. He believed because the demons believe. James 2.19, demons believe. This belief is not trusting in. This belief is understanding the source of revelation. I believe Jesus is Lord, but I don't believe in him. Are you following church? Let's go back to the scripture again because we have two chapters to deal with today. And the Bible says, He believed and was he was baptized. But was he saved? No, I'll show you in a moment. He believed and was baptized. He didn't believe in Jesus. Now, baptism misidentified. He was baptized. Because he saw everyone being baptized. But there was a reason. There was a motive behind his belief. There was a motive behind his what is baptizing. So belief and baptizing is not enough. It is trusting Christ, believing in him and his finished work. Believing and baptizing is not enough, or they are not enough. Say again. Believing and baptizing are not enough. You have to believe in and baptize in. And to be baptized in means that you are buried with him. You are crucified with him. What Simon did was called dipping and not baptizing. Dipping, D-I-P-P-I-N-G. He dipped himself in water, but not baptized. How do I know that? The Bible says, Then Simon himself believed and also believed and, and, and was baptized. And he continued with Philip. So the Bible says, And was amazed, seeing miracle signs which were done. Why did he follow Philip? He wanted to win Philip's trust. So he followed Philip 
to see how Philip operated in miracles and signs. Why? If I confess Jesus, and if I believe, if I say I believe in Jesus and baptized, Philip would think I'm for real. But this guy was not following Jesus, he was following Philip. The Bible said that he was baptized and continued with Philip instead of continued with Jesus. Are you hearing, church? You will see that in a moment. You realize that this guy was not following Philip, but following, he was following because he wanted to continue the same practice. So he was trying to investigate which power. The Bible says, saying the miracles and signs which were done. So the reason for the baptism and believing was because of the miracles, not because of the reconversion. There was no encounter. He wanted the experience without the encounter. He wanted the experience without the encounter. And, and Dunamayo, he wanted the power. He wanted, he, wanted the, he wanted the power, but not the encounter. He wanted the experience. I want to function in the same thing. So, what, so the Bible says, now, 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 we're going to come back to the moment. The Bible says, now, let me take this out. Uh, where are we now? Good. Now, when, now, remember, this was going on in Samaria. Samaria is going through a, a city revival. City mass revival. The church is growing. The news are spread abroad. That Samaria is experiencing a city revival. My goodness, Samaria that was known for sorcery practices and divination and ecstasies. Now the news has spread to Jerusalem that something marvelous is happening in Jerusalem. In verse 18, the Bible says, Then Simon saw that through the laying of hands. No, verse 14 rather. Bible says, and when the apostles who were at Jerusalem, the apostles, remember we read in chapter, chapter 8, verse 1, that the apostles did not move. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. Hear me, follow me very carefully here. When they heard that Samaria had received the word, they had received the word. They sent Peter and John to them. That was something about Peter and John. They sent Peter and John to them. Who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Spirit. Hold on one moment. They have received the word of God. But they haven't received the Spirit. What was the word they received? We read it previously. That Philip preached the kingdom of God and Jesus. So that was the word they received. The word they received was Jesus and his kingdom. But they haven't received the Holy Spirit yet. I'll show you in a moment. The Bible says, when they have come down, pray for them that they may receive the Holy Spirit. Look at 16. Look at 16. I like 16. It says that for us yet, he, the Holy Spirit as the person, he, Newton now, he had, no, he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. Now this is the part you need to hear. I love it. I love the Bible. I love the Bible. Yeah, I love the Bible. Let me take this out of your way. The Bible says this profoundly. Make it bigger. Yeah. They had received, Bible says, the word. They have only been baptized in the name, so they have been baptized in the name of Jesus. That baptism in the name of Jesus is baptism into baptism into identification. So they had received, hear me, church, the baptism of identification. They are not part of the church. But the Bible said they had not been baptized 
in the Holy Ghost. Bible says, for as yet had not fallen on none of them, they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them that they may receive the Holy Ghost. They laid their hands on them. Now, what is the difference? What's, what's happening? Why did they not receive the power? Or why were they not baptized? I'll say it will blow your mind. The Samaritans and the Jews were enemies. The Samaritans did not cross with the Jews. The Jews did not cross with the Samaritans. They were divided people. Even though they were the church, they were still divided ethnically. Ethnically. Because the, the Samaritans are from the northern kingdom and the Judeans or the Jews are from the southern kingdom. They did not cross path. If the Holy Ghost had come upon the Samaritans without the Jews coming from Jerusalem, which is John and Peter, then the Samaritans would have claimed to have their own Holy Ghost. Whoa. And the Jews would have claimed to have their own Holy Ghost. They would have had two Holy Ghosts because one would have said, we have the Holy Ghost for our ethnic group. We have the Holy Ghost from our ethnic group. So the reason why Jerusalem had to send Peter and John was that they should understand that it is one Holy Ghost, that they are baptized under one spirit. So the reason why they were not under the power of the Holy Ghost before now was because they needed someone who would come from the headquarter to say, you know what, we are all cemented together in one body. You hear in church? The purpose why they didn't receive it then was because they had to be a unification of the church before the power came upon them. Because if they had received the Holy Ghost without the apostles coming from Jerusalem, they would have said that we have the Samaritan Holy Ghost. You have the Judean Holy Ghost. Are you hearing me, church? So these two leaders have to come together to cement these two and say, you are not the body of Christ. You're no longer, a, you're, you're not just an ethnic people. This is a spiritual regeneration. And because Peter and John came and cemented them together, the Spirit came upon them. That is the reason why Philip could not do that. He had to bring someone who will come from Jerusalem, someone who is uh, venerated, respected. They had to send Peter and John. These were the guys who were at the temple. These were guys who were known. And the purpose for Peter and John coming was to first unite the body and then baptize them in the Holy Ghost. Are you here in church? Unity first before impartation. And I believe even in the local churches that we have right now, one of the ways that the church will move in the power of the Holy Ghost, if the body is united at one, God will bring down his spirit upon the church. So the reason why in verse 17 it says, they, then they laid hands on them and they said receive the Holy Spirit. This receipt of the Holy Spirit is a spiritual receipt. Now this Holy Ghost that they received, ladies and gentlemen, it is not the Holy Ghost of identification. It is the Holy Ghost for miracle signs and wonder or the Holy Ghost with a Physical demonstration. How do I know that? The Bible says that when they laid hands on them, they received the Holy Ghost. Look at verse number 18. Do you blow your mind? Look at 18. Okay, see what 18 says. Do you see what 18 says? 18 says, it says, then, and when Simon, sorry guys, when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles, the Holy Spirit was given. How did Simon know? Because he saw. How did Simon see? He saw that when hands were laid on the people, they received the Holy Ghost, and there was a physical manifestation. It could be tongues. But we can see from here that when Simon saw, that word saw in the Greek is the word horao. That word saw is not the word optanomai. There were two words to see. Where's my pen? There were two words for see. One of the words is horao. 
One of the other words is called optanomai. Now it's very important that I'll come to light the moment. When this guy saw, he uses the word optanomai. Alright. That word will come in a moment. There were two words I will use for C. One is called optanomai. And the other one is called horao. From the word optician, optanomai means to see with the physical eyes. That's what this guy did. Simon optanomai. He saw that's what he, he saw with the physical eyes. Because there was evidence. There was evidence. He saw with the physical eyes. And guess what he did when he saw? The Bible said when Simon saw in verse number 19, when Simon saw through the lane of ants, the Holy Spirit was given. He offered money. Because that is what he does. When Simon practices his magic, people offered money to him. Now when Simon saw a, a, the move of the Spirit, he offered money also. So Simon was showing us what he believes. That through the offering of money, you can be imparted. That is called simony. It's a word, it's a practice called simony. Alright? S-I-M-O-N-Y. So people call it simony, but it's called simony. Or so call it simony. It means exchange of a sacred position with money. Those of you that have bought your posts with money, it's called simony or simony. Those of you that are elders in your churches because of your flame, simony. Those of you that have used money to bribe your leaders and they put you as the prophet of the church, simony. If you have any position that is sacred but bought with money, it's called simony or simony. So we can see from here, guys, so we can see from here that Simon was not really saved. He was looking for the means to continue his magic. Probably under that means. So let me bribe these guys and see if they can give me the same power. What Simon was after, he was after power. And, and, and this, you may not even believe that this actually happens in the contemporary church. Prophets and apostles, that is after power. At all costs, they will go into some black, dark magic, go into some mountains and go into some, some places, some dark places to obtain power. There were prophets who claimed to hear from the Lord, but walking through divine me, divining means. They've gone to some dark space, to some witch doctors, to some occult practice or group to obtain power to see things in the spirit. And a lot of the church will applaud them and say, whoa, you can hear, you can see. But it's actually called simony. Paying money. For, for spiritual gifts or supernatural gifts. It's called simony. Mm. Are you following church? That's what this guy did. So he wasn't really saved. He was looking for a way to buy this gift. And the Bible says, let's see what happens when he started to offer money. The Bible says in 19, it says, give me this power also. That's what it says. Give me this power also. That anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So he must have seen a physical demonstration when the apostles laid hands on the Samaritans. It could be that they convulsed. It could be that they began to speak in a different tongues. It could be that something supernatural happened. And he saw Optanoma. He saw it. But now, see what Peter would say. But Peter said to him, 
Your money perished with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter. For your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent. He, wasn't, he hasn't really repented. Change of metanoia. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness. And pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven. Look at what Peter said in verse 23. For I see. Now, there were two C's. The first C that we saw was called optanomai. That was the scene of the physical. That was what Simon saw. Simon saw a physical demonstration of the Holy Ghost and then wanted to buy. But this scene here is not just a physical scene. It's called horao. It's a descending scene. So Peter did not just optanomai. Peter horao. Now let's go back to that, the right, that writing again. I showed it before. Optanomai. Optanomai. Optanomai was done by Simon. It was a physical scene. But the word Orao was done by Simon. <laughs> Be very careful of the Simon in your life. Because one Simon could be using Optanomai. But the other Simon is using Orao. Just because they are Simons doesn't mean their sources are the same. Just because a prophet prophesies like another prophet doesn't mean that their sources are the same. One guy who was the first one used optanomai, physical evaluation, and one that is used of the Holy Ghost uses the word horao. So Simon discerned. That's what the Bible said. Horao. He discerned. If you look at the scripture again, the Bible says, yeah. And the Bible says, for I see, for I see. Oh, that's, that's it there. Make it smaller. How uh, I many guys? Yeah. For I see that you have poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. So realize that Peter could see in the spirit that this guy was not saved. Peter knew that this guy was not saved. Repent. And he gave him a time saying, Repent therefore in this your wickedness and pray that God, if perhaps God, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. So his thought was wicked. And Simon was able to discern. Simon was able to discern. There are two Simons there. One was the fake Simon. One was the real Simon. And very soon you will see the next Simon who was the tanner. <laughs> there was a fake Simon called Simon Magus. A real Simon called Simon Peter. And a tanner called Simon Sam the tanner. Simon the Tanner, you find him much later in chapter number, this chapter and chapter 10. But the Bible says that Simon Peter knew that or discerned that he wasn't really saved. He was doing it for what? He was doing it because he wanted powers. Then Simon answered and said to him, Pray to the Lord for. So, so he said to Simon, Pray for me. Why did he say pray for me? Because he knows that he doesn't have a relationship with God. It was all a facade. He said, Pray for me. That's what he said. Pray for me. That none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. Who? Why did he say pray for me? Because he knew that he wasn't saved. He knew he didn't really believe. He knew he wasn't really baptized. He was doing it for the power. And when Simon Peter, by the help of the Holy Ghost, to Horao, to descend the spirit that was behind the act, exposed the man 
and the man knew that there were penal consequences for this and he begged for forgiveness. The Bible says, so when the Bible says in verse 25, so when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, who Peter and Simon, or Peter and John, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages to the Samaritans. So as they were going back to Jerusalem down south, they went back preaching to everybody there. But let's take a look at the man by the name of Simon because I did a bit of uh, tracking down and I want to help you with this. You may not see this. I'm sorry for this. You may not see this, but if you can take a screenshot, take a screenshot. I want to bring to your attention this man by the name of Simon the Sorcerer because you might not find a lot about this guy. I want to help you right now. I'll read this for you so you can see it. You might see that. In the city of Samaria. Now, we want to find out about this guy called Simon. Was he really saved? Was he really born again? If you can take a screenshot of that, please do. Right. In the city of Samaria was one Samaritan who considered himself someone great. Act 8 verse 9. The wonder worker Simon is even reported to have been called the great power of God by the people of Samaria. We find that in verse number 10. Reading that. Then we also read, Simon is well known outside of the scripture. What you may not know that he has history with the early fathers. According to the early Christian sources, he was from Gita, a Samaritan village. Later, Christian sources describe him as Magos. So it's called Simon Magus or Magician. Before you go to Magi, the word Magi is the word the Magician, right? And suggests that he used his abilities for propagandistic purposes. Later, writers disagreed with Simon's title, the great power of God. Justin Matter in the second century AD claimed that Simon used demonic forces to imitate Christianity reporting that he performed wonders by demons in Rome during the reign of Claudius AD 41 to 45 to 54. Justine claims that Simon had a large following. Simon's teachings were labeled heretical. Are you hearing that? Irenaeus, in the late 2nd century AD, stated that Simon was the source of all heresies, even identifying himself with the Christian trinity. He was usually associated by the early church with some of the Gnostic heresies. Hippolytus wrote in the early 3rd century AD of Simon's claim that he would be raised on the third day after his death. The resurrection claims were not fulfilled since, as Hippolytus explained, Simon was not the Christ. Other Christian literature portrayed Simon as fake and an antichrist, and even as a disciple of John the Baptist, in some, Simon was a Samaritan who practiced elements of syncretism, mixing Christian and non-Christian elements. In Acts, Luke reports Peter's rebuke of Simon in Acts 8, 20-23 like we read before. The magician was later condemned by the church, which likely embellished tales about him, seeing him as the model of the Antichrist. Are you seeing that? So what am I trying to say? There's a whole lot of history. A whole lot of history behind this guy by the name of Simon. A whole lot of history. And, and you may not even know this, that it was even called the Antichrist. It was actually become the father of all heresies. This same guy here. Because he was all about power. All about power, power, power. 
And that was the reason why Peter could use the word horal to say that you are you have bitterness in your heart. He was bitter. And it's interesting that he became an enemy of the church because he wasn't allowed to be part of the church. Are you following church? Are you following church? Now let's go back again to the text. The Bible says that when Peter and, and, and John went back, they went back to Jerusalem or preached along the way. They preached along the way. Let's continue the scriptures. Is someone being blessed so far? Are you blessed so far? The Bible says in verses number, in verses number 26, the Bible says, Now an angel of the Lord. Now remember, Peter and John had gone back to Jerusalem. The Bible says, Now an angel of the Lord came to speak and spoke to Philip. It was an angel. And came and spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south of the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. That's in the southwest. Arise and go to the south, to the southwest. This is a desert. So the Bible says, Arise and go to the southwest. This is a desert. Very important. And the Bible says, I received an instruction from an angel. And the angel said, Go to the southwest. Okay? That leads to Gaza. And the Bible says, This is desert. So he arose. And it's interesting here, church. It didn't say this is city. It didn't say this is the main town. It didn't say this was Galilee. It's interesting how Philip molded for us the meaning of evangelist because he became an evangelist later. You find it in much, in much later chapters. Philip did not fight with the, the angel and say, I don't want to go to the desert. Especially when the angel told him it was a desert. A lot of you that call yourself evangelists, where are you going? You can't tell me you're, you're an evangelist and all you travel to is America and England. I see a lot of people that say, I'm an evangelist. I'm asking, where do you go? Where do you do mission? You only do mission in third world, in, 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 in first world countries. You're traveling to Australia. You're traveling to Canada. You're traveling to America. You're traveling to England. You're traveling to countries that are not remote. Countries that are not impoverished. And you see you're doing mission? Why not go to the desert? Why not go to as far as Somalia and, and, far, and as far as Nigeria and there's some desert places? But it's interesting that when this angel told Philip, he didn't argue. He told him, you are in Samaria. Go south to the south of Jerusalem. Go into Gaza. And he told him, go to the desert. To understand men that are sold out to the gospel. Go to desert. If the Lord said to you today, go to Afghanistan, would you go? Go preach the word in Saudi Arabia, would you go? Why do we not see, I'm not saying that, why do we not see evangelists who travel to only the first world? Why, why, why haven't you gone to Saudi Arabia? Or Afghanistan. Why would you go to places where there is uh, Islamic war and preach the gospel? Yeah. If God ever told you, would you go? The Bible says that this guy, in scripture, the Bible says it was a desert. Now remember, he's preached in Samaria and I was coming to the southern western part going through Gaza. It was a desert. Remember, the scripture says that he used the word horao. Peter used the word horao to mean in the Greek to mean that he descended that Simon's spirit was false, right? Now the Bible said that an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down to Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert. So he arose and went and behold a man of Ethiopia. Now hear me very, very important. A man of Ethiopia who had charged, sorry, a man of Ethiopia, or Enoch. 
Okay, I'll read that part. Oh, you know, of great authority under Candace, the queen of Ethiopians. Let me make this very clear. Candace is not a name. Candace was a royal title. Just like Pharaoh was not a name. Pharaoh was a title. Just like Melchizedek is not a name. Melchizedek is a title. Remember, Ethiopia was in the north, southern part of the Nile, southern part of Egypt. Just like you have the Pharaoh of Egypt, you have the Candace of Ethiopia. They were considered the northern part of Egypt. Very important. And I'll show you something that will blow your mind. And the Bible said that he was an Enoch. Now, back in the day, uh, Enoch was someone who was castrated. But later, the word Enoch came to mean someone who is high in military ranking. Now, whether this guy was castrated or high in military ranking, we do not know. But I want to share something with you that you probably have not heard before. Now, the Bible says that who had charge of all our treasury, he was, he was in charge of all our estates. This was no small guy. When you read your Bible, you always thought that that Enoch came by himself. That Enoch was like the second in command after Candace. It was the one who was in charge of the treasury of the estate of Ethiopia. And there was no way that that guy would be allowed to come by himself. History tells us that these guys with this level of power and authority had a massive entourage. So when you read the scripture, this guy was not by himself. He had an amazing entourage. And the Ethiopians were known to be the men of war back in the day. When the Ethiopians came into a town, everyone would run away. They were tall, handsome, and men of great strength and stature. So this Enoch was not a man who was by himself because that would change the narrative in a moment. This Enoch had an entire entourage. And the Bible says that the Lord said to, to Philip, there was a man of Ethiopia and Enoch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. She was the queen. I'm going somewhere. Who had charge over a treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now this will blow your mind and was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Simon, so to Philip rather, the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake. I told you before, the name Philip means Philippos, which means the Lord of hosts. For some reason, maybe it was an impartation for, for, for race, he has. He has an impartation for speed. Philip means speed. <laughs> but this is the part that will, that will change the game for you. One of the things you must understand when you read the scripture, you must understand that in the time of Manasseh, Manasseh had done so much mess that God was angry with the nation of Israel. Manasseh did everything to eradicate Judaism from the map. Manasseh was a total mess. And because of that, the Levites that were in Israel were afraid that Manasseh was about to mess up everything, including the Ark of the Covenant. And it's from a great legend that the, the, the Levites had taken the Ark of the Covenant and they had gone to, they had gone to Egypt. The southern part of Egypt is to blow your mind in a moment. Why? Because Manasseh was trying to desecrate the holy place and also try to stop Judaism. And because of that, the next they realized that there was a great mess going on in Israel at the time. And the next king who succeeded was Josiah. Josiah was eight years old when he succeeded. And you can imagine for centuries upon centuries, the Levites that were in Jerusalem, they had left Jerusalem and they had gone to Egypt. So there was a time in the nation of Israel where there was no Levites. And the prophets, sorry, and the kings will consult with, uh, that's the reason why the, the, uh, the, the king Josiah consulted, sorry, what I, I was saying, uh, at that time that Josiah was the king, there were no Levites, they had gone to Egypt. And that's the reason why Josiah would consult with the prophetess Holder, 
Huda, right? Because there were no Levites. Levites were the voices of God at the time. And because the Levites were not around, they had gone to southern part of Egypt that we know to be Ethiopia. And that's why there's a claim that the Ark of the Covenant is in Ethiopia. But I'm coming in a moment. And that's the reason why the Bible said at the time, remember this, that the king of Egypt was waging war with the king of Syria. But for some reason, the king of Israel was waging war against the king of Egypt. It doesn't make sense because the Syrians and the Jews have been enemies from time. And the Assyrians and the Jews have been, have been enemies, from, enemies from time. And for some reason, if Egypt is waging war against Assyria, shouldn't the Israelites wage war against the Assyria as well, knowing that they have a common enemy? But what did Josiah do? We understand that the king of Egypt was waging war with the king of Assyria, or Syria, instead of Josiah to also wage war against the king of Syria as their long-term enemy, he waged war against the king of Egypt. A lot of people do not know the reason why Josiah was waging war. Josiah was waging war with the king of Egypt, even though they were waging war with the king of Syria, because Josiah was doing everything to reclaim the Ark of the Covenant. You know what I said? He was doing everything to reclaim the Ark of the Covenant. Because he understood that the Levites had taken the Ark of the Covenant to Egypt, the southern part called Ethiopia. And the Ethiopians up to date believe that the Ark is still in their custody. Now this is the part that will blow your mind in a moment. Now what happened is this, if you look at the scripture, you realize that Josiah now was fighting, but he died in the process. For some reason, that Ark is, in a nutshell, under the Ethiopian government or rule. Now this will blow your mind because the Bible said that this guy that had come to Jerusalem had come to worship. And it will blow your mind even more because he was reading from a scripture about the Messiah. And he had taken consent from the Queen Candice. I want to show you in scripture, I wrote it down in a moment. I wrote it down in a moment. Oh, just to let you know, the Falashas, there is a, there is a, the Falashas are believed to be the, 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 the Ethiopians that, have a, that has a Levitical descent. So this guy from history is known to be a Falasha. A Falasha is F-A-L-A-S-H-A. -A, -A, a Falasha. A Falasha is an Ethiopian with a Levitical descent. So these were the Levites of Ethiopia. Very important. Because these are the people that were responsible to steal the ark. So I will show you the reason why we believe that this guy that came to Jerusalem to worship was also a Falasha. Now if you look at the scripture, I don't know if I wrote this down. I may not have written this down. I think I didn't write this down. I was going to show you in scripture. Oh, I wrote it down. As Zephaniah chapter number 3 verse number 10. Zephaniah 3 verse 10 if you have your Bibles quickly. There is a prophecy that it is the Ethiopians that will deliver the Ark of the Covenant to the Messiah. Zephaniah chapter number 3 verse number 10. If you are there, I'm going to read right now. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshippers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. Look at again the book of Isaiah chapter number 18. Isaiah 18. Isaiah 18 verse 1 Woe to the land shuddered with buzzing wings which is beyond the rivers of Ethiopia If you read everything about chapter number 18 you realize that the Ethiopians' destiny 
is that they are the ones that will deliver the ark to the Messiah when it comes. Why have I taken time to take it through this journey? Because when this Enoch came, history tells us it came with an offering. And I've been hearing, now remember, Ethiopia is far away from Jerusalem. It's come a long journey with its entourage. He has been hearing that there was a Messiah. That was a Messiah. That was a Messiah. And they know that from their history and from their prophecies that the Falashas are the one that will deliver the Ark of the Covenant to the Lord as an offering. We believe that when this Ethiopia came, he was disappointed to find out that the Messiah had died. Because history tells us that he was coming with an offering. And it's my conjecture that when this Ethiopia came, it came to Jerusalem to deliver. Yemi Church, it came to Jerusalem to deliver the ark. You know, Yemi Church, it's my conjecture, by the way. To deliver the ark. So much so that he was disappointed that the one to whom he must have delivered the ark was dead. And he was going back. So we're reading scripture, the Bible says, in verse number 30, So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. Why was he reading the prophet Isaiah? He was reading the prophet Isaiah because the prophet Isaiah would prophesy something about the coming. The Bible says he was reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked him, do you understand? Remember, this guy had come to Jerusalem. Philip was in Samaria, had no clue what was going on. This Enoch had come to Jerusalem and had come to worship in Jerusalem, but was going back. How would he come all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem and going back? With an entourage. He wasn't coming empty-handed. There was a reason why he was coming. He was coming with an offering. And the Bible said that he was going back. But this guy was going back. And it's interesting how the Lord told Philip. The Lord did not tell Peter. The Lord did not tell John. The Lord told Philip. <laughs> oh Lord, help me. The Lord told this evangelist. That listen, the guy is there. Go and over, overtake this guy. And the Bible said, and in 31... And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. He was an Enoch. He asked Philip, a Hellenistic Jew, to come up and sit with him. Why would he ask a Hellenistic Jew? I wish I had the time to explain today. Because a Enoch is almost a taboo in the temple. Actually, the Bible says, I can't get the scripture right now, that Enoch's are not allowed to worship in the temple or in the tabernacle. So there was no way that Peter or John or any of those guys who were the leaders of the Jewish crew would have allowed the guy because he probably would have desecrated their temple or they might seem as unfit. So the Lord has to use another guy by the name of Philip who was Hellenistic, who was a Grecian Jew. And he said, come sit with me. Okay, shall I write on? The Bible says, the place that he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And the lamb, as a lamb before his share, is silent. Share is silent. So he opened up his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. This Enoch was reading that on his way. He had come to Jerusalem and going back and was reading that on his way. 
Are you following me, church? I don't know if I'm stuck. I need to know if you're following me still. Am I frozen? I need a thumbs up if I'm good. My phone is frozen. I don't know if... I don't, I'm not sure. <laughs> I hope I'll be talking to myself. Am I good to go? Am I good to go? Thumbs up. Oh, follow me. That is good. Now, now, this guy was reading this text, but he didn't understand. And the Bible says, So the Enoch answered Philip and said, That's what they said. <laughs> I ask of you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself, which is Isaiah, of some other man. Then Philip opened his mouth, the beginning at the scripture, and preached Jesus to him. Philip preached Jesus to the man. The man was going back to give back a report. You hear me? No Enoch was allowed to leave his country or his kingdom or his empire to another without the queen's consent. So the reason why that Enoch had come to Jerusalem was because the queen Candace had sent him. He was on a mission. And he was on a mission to deliver an offering. And that the Bible says, the fifth, then Philip opened his mouth at the beginning of the scripture and prayed Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the Enoch said, See, here is water. What in that mean from being baptized? So, what happened? This guy was going back to Ethiopia with the gospel of Jesus. He was the one that brought the message of the kingdom and the cross to Ethiopia. He was the messenger of the queen. But that's the what blew, blew my mind. The Bible says, you know, uh, then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. See, that was what Simon did not do. He didn't believe with all his heart. You may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of Brenda. This guy was an Enoch. I believe that Jesus was the son of God. So he commanded the chariots to stand still. This commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the Enoch went down into the water. And he baptized him. And now when they came out, the word came on this apostle, rapture. When they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught, which is apostle rather, caught Philip away. The same spirit that brought him with speed also took him away. So that the Enoch saw him no more. And went on his way rejoicing. I want to stay in a minute. This guy went on rejoicing. But his assignment was to bring back news. I believe. This is my conjecture. I believe that when this Enoch went back. The queen asked him. Is it true? And he said to the queen. No, not yet. <laughs> Because you read much later in Ezekiel, I don't have the time for that now, that that mercy seat will represent something in the coming kingdom. Hear me? We are not going to see the ark, the, the container anymore. The container was made with wood and gold plated. So the wood would have decayed ages ago. But remember, the mercy seat is made of pure gold. And that is still lasting. It's not going to die. It's going to last. And the mercy seat is the most important thing, not the Ark of the Covenant. The mercy seat speaks of the cherubims together with their wings. And Jesus 
or rather, and, and we have Jesus in the midst of the cherubim, the Adonai. When the case, which is the ark, destroys, because it has both wood and gold, acacia and gold, that mercy seat will stand. That mercy seat is not just a picture of Christ's intercession. It's a picture of his coming again. What Philip told the guy, that yes, the one who was the Messiah had come and he had died, but is coming back. I believe when the Enoch went back home, the Queen Candace asked him, has he come? Then he would tell Queen Candace, he came, but is coming back. <laughs> I love the gospel. I love the gospel. So we said to the Queen, let's keep this, uh, let's keep this mercy seat for a while. Because he's going to come back. He must bring back news to the queen. And the queen was expecting that he would deliver the offering. But he said to the queen, not yet. The time has to come. He's going to come back again. We missed him the first time by prophecy. But the second time, not only would we give him the message seat, the message seat would typify him sitting on the throne of David. Bible says, but Philip was found at Azotus, passing through a priest in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. That's the end of chapter number 8. But let me make very clear, this Caesarea is different from the Caesarea in Philippi. This Caesarea was built by Herod and he built it in honor of Augustus or Sebastus. And it's a Roman province, very affluent, very rich, very metropolitan. And this is the part I want to share with you. If the Lord would ever take you down to a desert, he would surely take you down to a city. And I said to a lot of people, the reason why Philip was able to enjoy the pleasures of Caesarea, an affluent community, a mind-blowing community, it was a place that was dedicated to Augustus, you know, uh, Sebastus. It's, it's very affluent and it's different from, it's different from the Caesarea of Philippi, uh, which is the north side of the Sea of Galilee. It's different. The, the Philippi in Galilee is not a, it's a remote, it's very remote, very, it's, not, it's poor. But this was the Caesarea that the emperors would go and relax. The, the, the magnificent buildings were in this part of Caesarea. It's interesting how the Bible says the Lord took him not just to the desert, but also took him to Caesarea. I do believe really that for a lot of you that are asking God to take you to the rich affluent places, if you're obedient in the desert, God will take you through to Azotus. And I believe that you've been blessed so far. So in chapter number 8, we'll find two people. We'll find a man by the name of Simon Damagus who did not really believe. And we'll find a man by the name of the Enoch who believed in his heart. Both of them, the difference is that one of them believed with all his heart and was baptized. One of them was seeking the face of God. And the other one was seeking for power. My question to you today, who are you? Simon or the Enoch? And I love the fact that the Enoch represents some of us that are circumcised in our hearts. And that's the old testimony of the new covenant. Or are you Simon who feel like you are the power of God? Or you are Enoch? Who felt like I am nobody, even though I am the second in command. I am the treasurer of the queen's estate. But he lowered himself, I got into the water. And he says, there is water, baptize me, what hinders me? We find that chapter number 8 speaks of two kinds of people. A sorcerer who used divination and became an enemy of the church. 
from history. Or an Enoch who brought the gospel to the Ethiopians. And today we see that the Ethiopians are people that have even the original model of, of, of church, of Christianity, the Greek Orthodox. Ask yourself the question, what are you? Are you the one that will bring revival to, to people? Or are you the one that will cause heresy? And that's the life of these two people. All right, chapter number nine, because we've, got, we've got a bit more of time. Chapter number nine, I promise you I will allow you drink water small. So what I want to do right now is that I want you to drink water. But right now, before you drink water, I'll be back in another five minutes or three minutes. Uh, but I want you guys to take a screenshot of this. This is the life of Simon the Sorcerer. Take a screenshot or read it. And I'll be back in another five minutes. all right we are back again how is everyone doing hope you have taken a screenshot of that wonderful wonderful chapter number eight all right we want to look at chapter number nine now if you have your writing materials please do turn to chapter number nine of the book of acts Whew. let me know have you been blessed so far have you been blessed so far i want to hear from you have you been blessed so far, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> All right, so we have one more to go. And hopefully we are going to 
do this in grace. Chapter number nine is a uh, not too much as well, but I know a lot of you are tired, but we can we can do this. Let's roll. Chapter number nine. All right. The Bible says, Then Saul. We start with the word then Saul. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder. We read that Samaria was experiencing revival. Samaria was experiencing great turnout. The Bible says that, uh, I mean, we've read from Simon. We've read from Peter and John. We've read from Philip, the Enoch. And revival was happening around that region. The Bible says, and Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. We read in chapter number 8 that he was doing madness. He was causing havoc. And the Bible says that he was still breathing murder and threats. And the Bible says, against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest. Remember the high priest read in chapter number 7. When Stephen stood before the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin was a people of 70 people with the high priest. 35 on the left, 35 on the right with the high priest. Then you have the clerks and then you have the rabbi students. And the Bible says that he took a letter from the high priest. The legal high priest was called Caiaphas. But the religious high priest we know was Annas, right? He took a letter from the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus. Where was he going? Damascus is the capital city of Syria. So it's going to it's going beyond it's going beyond Jerusalem. It's going to Damascus now. So he took a document. He was going to Syria. So it's, it's, it's the central point was Damascus. And the Bible says, let's keep reading. I'm in chapter number nine. Let me chapter number nine here as well. Uh, where are you? Ark chapter number nine. There we go. Right. Right. So he went to the synagogue of Damascus so that if he found any who were off the way. Remember, Christianity was a derog derogatory term. They were called the people of the way. What we call Christianity today, we're called the people of the way. So the Bible says that he took the document called Epistos. Epistos is a letter from what epistle, right? Epistle. He took the epistles from the, from, the, from the high priest. It was a legal document to imprison anyone who professed the name of the Lord Jesus. And the Bible says that he went to, he was going to Damascus, the capital city of Syria. The Bible says that if he found any who, remember the church had spread around because they were being persecuted, they preached Christ in every city they went to. The Bible says that, that if he found any who were off the way. So you realize the church were called the way. And it's interesting how Jesus calls that, says that he goes the way to the Father. If Jesus was the way to the Father, then we should be the way to Jesus. I want to ask you, are you the way or you are the wall? Because the way will lead you to somewhere, but the wall becomes an obstruction. Is your Christian faith an obstruction to many? So the big question you want to ask yourself tonight is that are you the way or you are the wall? Mm. I think even myself need to ask that question. Does my Christian faith bring men into the kingdom or it becomes a distraction from people? Are you the way or are you the wall? So the Bible says that he took a letter from the high priest, the highest authority in the Levitical system, even though we know that Caiaphas was not from the Aaronic line, bloodline. But he took a letter 
that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. What was he doing? His assignment was to arrest as many as he could, men or women, and bring them bound. But I love how the scripture turned the stories around. That the one who would bring men bound became bound to the gospel. He becomes the I, Paul, the prisoner of the Lord. The one who was persecuting people and making them prisoners became a prisoner of the Lord. The one who made people prisoner of the system became the prisoner of the Savior. The one who made people prisoner of, of the law became the prisoner of the Lord. I like that word. He made people a prisoner of the system, but he became the prisoner of the Savior. He made people the prisoner of the law, he became the prisoner of the Lord. So realize that he took a letter so he might bring them down to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital city for punishment. Anyone who was a Christian would have to face them, face that you know, in Jerusalem. And the Bible said in verse number 3, As he journeyed, he came near Damascus. Make it bigger. Right, good. As he journeyed, he came near the, Now, he has not come to Damascus yet. Let's read it very carefully. As he journeyed, remember, he would come with his men as well, right? As he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. This was not the sun. Many people have preached that this, is not, this light is a person. A light shone before him from around him from heaven. And he fell to the ground. Let's my note. I wrote down. A light shone before him, and he fell to the ground. Very important. A light shone before him, and he fell to the ground. And heard a voice saying to him, "Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?" Now, if you read the scripture, you might think that's all, but that's not all, because if you read the scripture, the Bible says a light shone from heaven. This light that shone from heaven was not the solar system; it was a person. And why do I know that? If you look at the scriptures, I'm going to turn right now. We're in verse number four. Right. In verse number four, I wrote this down. Let's look at chapter 26, verse 9 to 18. I'll read from my scripture. If you have your Bibles, I'll read chapter number 26. Ah, chapter number 26. I'll read it from verse number nine. This is Paul writing. I'll read Acts 26, 9 to 18. Paul writes, Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I did also in Jerusalem. And many of the saints I shut up in prison. Now this tells us that Paul shut up many people in prison. Are you here in church? So I'm ready right now from Acts chapter number 22. Acts 22. I'm ready from verse number 9. If you have your Bibles, Acts 22 from verse number 9. The Bible says, Indeed, I myself thought I must do, do many things contrary to the name of the Lord Jesus of Nazareth. That this I did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shot in prison. So this tells us that Paul was successful in his mission. And the Bible says, having received authority from the chief priests. Now we hear in chapter number 9 verse 1 that Paul took a letter from the chief priest, singular. But now we read in chapter number 2, chapter number two that he took, chapter number 22, that he took letters from the chief priests. There were two chief priests there, or two high priests there. Chief priests, right? There was one called Annas, which was from the line of Aaron. It was the uh, traditional one who was legitimate. But there was one that was called Caiaphas, who was actually the Roman priest. So the reason why we have to understand was because 
these two priests were there, were responsible for sentencing Jesus. These two priests also were responsible for sentencing the body of Jesus or the body of Christ. So these two guys were involved in this atrocity. And Paul will make us understand that one of them was not, both of them were involved in these atrocities. And the Bible says, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. So Paul did not just arrest the people, he made sure that they were executed. That's what he says in verse 11. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. He compelled the people to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Look at verse number 12. While thus occupied, I journeyed to Damascus and with authority and commission from the chief priests. We'll find David, so we'll find Saul saying that he took a letter and journeyed to Damascus. At midday, now remember we read before, what you and I read before in chapter number 9. Bible says that it felt, Bible says in verse number 3, as he journeyed near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. That's what it says down in verse, in verse number 12 of chapter number 22, or chapter number 13. At midday, O king, now he was standing before the king, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven, not all, brighter than the sun. So it was not the sun. The light that he saw from heaven was a light that was brighter than the sun. It was not the sun. This light was a person. And if you take as uh, let, let's read the Bible says, shining around me and those journeyed with me. So if you read, you realize that this was not a sun. It was a light that was shining than the sun. And if you take your time also, look at the book of Genesis chapter number one. Right? Genesis chapter number one. The Bible says in verse number three, then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now, this light was not the sun because the sun and the moon will be created much later. Are you hearing me, church? But in verse 14 of Genesis chapter number one, then God says, let there be lights. God said, let it see, see the plural lights. But in chapter number one, verse number three, let there be lights, singular. Now it says, let there be lights. So realize that this light that Saul or Paul encountered was not a natural solar light. This was a light that we believe was the person or the, the, or, or the manifestation of the person. This was Jesus. He was the brilliance of God. And, and this reminds us of, of the transfiguration when he was before the apostles and before Elijah and Moses that he transfigured before them as a shining one. He was the light. He is a son of righteousness. He was the light. So we can read from scripture. The Bible says, if you go back again to the book of um, um, Acts chapter number 9, you realize that the Bible says that as he journeyed, uh, suddenly a light shone around him from heaven and he fell to the ground. That's what the Bible says. And he fell to the ground. And guess what happened? Let's go back to the scriptures. Because that was the voice that spoke from the light. Just, that was, just like that was the voice that spoke from the burning bush. Alright? That was the voice that spoke from the light. Let's go back to the scriptures. There we go. The Bible says, in verse number 4, Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? There are a few things I want to share with you, but I'm going to address this first. The voice never said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? The voice says, Saul, Saul, the voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why? Because if you persecute the body, you persecute the bride. Sorry, you persecute the bride, rather, you persecute, you persecute Jesus. Because he is 
the fullness of the body. He is the head of the body. But the Bible says that there's a light that shone on him. And a lot of you take for granted the light that shone on him. Now, Paul would always mention how he never forgave himself for killing Stephen and all of this. But this light that shone on him is something of great importance. Could it be the reason that Paul had an eye problem? Because Paul is the only one we know from scripture that has a physical defect that was not healed. It could be, it could it be that this was the thorn in his flesh. Mm. Or maybe not. Or could it be the eye problem? Let's look at Galatians chapter number 4. I wrote it down. Galatians 4 verse 13 to 15. Galatians chapter number 4 verses 13. It says, You know that in the gospel that you at first. So we believe that for some reason that Paul had a physical infirmity. Not a spiritual one, a physical one. What could it be that Paul was suffering from? Let's also look at the book of Galatians chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. And this is the part that will blow your mind. It's what it says in Galatians chapter number 6, verse 11. One moment. Oh. See, verse, chapter 6, verse 11 verse 12 and 12. See, with a large letters I have written to you by my own hands. Paul right. See, it's ready to the Galatians with large, with what large letters I have written to you with my own hands. As many as desire to make good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that you may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. What was Paul writing here? Paul had to sign legible letter because of his high defect. <laughs> So history tells us that the reason why Paul would write such and sign with such large letters, he wrote light because of his eye defect. And there were a lot of people who believed that when that light shone on Saul in chapter number 9, that it was the light that blinded him or defected his sight. But there was something more I'm going to share with you in a moment. And I think for me, this is the reason why, and this is my conjecture again, by the way, and I feel like this will blow, them, blow your mind. Let's go back again and see what it says in, 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 in verse number 5. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And see what Saul said. And he said, who are you, Lord? The question is this. How did Saul know that it was the Lord? Saul did not know it was Jesus. Because Jesus will introduce himself. But one thing that Saul knew. That Saul knew that in chapter number 7. When Stephen was giving that amazing declaration of Christ. He was there. He may not have believed Stephen at the time. He may have been furious at the time. But I believe that when that light shone on him and the voice, he remembered that same Jesus that Stephen was talking about. At that moment, he encountered Jesus because he encountered the light. So he asked, who are you, Lord? But that word, Lord, curious, means someone of a great power. Who is this? Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? He had no clue, but he knew that there was, some, there was something greater than him. Who are you, Lord? He, he was down there, falling from his horse, and, and blind because the, the light shone, so brilliant light. And, and he asked, who are you, Lord? Who, 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 who is this person speaking? Then Jesus introduces himself. But I like the fact that he fell. Why? At the mention of the name of Jesus, every soul shall bow. Even Saul, who was a high and mighty on his chariot, taking letters from the chief high priest and persecuting the church, 
even the high saw with tall shoulders, how to bow. When Jesus came around, the man that was on his high horse fell down. And I believe really that Jesus' name is the only name that should be exalted, not our profile, not our ranking, not our giftings. Paul, who was actually seen to be one of the most faithful Pharisees, fell down from his horse. Why? Because when the name of Jesus is announced, every other knee will bow. The horse had to bow so that Saul will fall. And the Bible said, then the Lord said, I am Jesus. I'm Jesus. I am Joshua. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. You are persecuting me. Is it hard for you to kick against the gods? What is saying? Why are you trying to do something that you never succeed? Why haven't you learned your lesson? Because the more you kick against the God, the more the world, the God is such is for plowing. Place at the back of a cat or, or an ox. You kick it or you, you pierce it, it makes you dig some more. Why are you fighting against your destiny? So, that's what the Lord said to him. In verse number 6. So he trembling. You can imagine Saul trembling. <laughs> Saul was the most, I believe he was the most, I believe after Jesus, Saul was the most profound mind that walked on the earth. This guy was trembling. Bible says, so Saul trembling and astonished said, what, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I believe that that's a prayer we all have to pray every single time. Lord, what would you want me to do? What would you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city. You will be told what you must do. Now, if you look at the scripture, Paul did not just ask him what to do. Because if you look at the scripture, you might wonder, how did Ananias, why did Ananias believe? Or, 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 God did not just tell Saul, so, or God did not just tell Saul, arise and go to a city. You know, that's verse number six. Uh one moment, Act 8. Let me go back to Act 8 again. Act 8. Sorry, Act 9, verse number 6. Uh, the Lord said, Arise and go into the city, you know, and you'll be told what to do. But it's interesting, if you look at the scripture, it's interesting that that's not all what God told him. Now, if you have your Bibles again, turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter number 26. I'll read from verse... 12. Because God told more to Paul or to Saul. He didn't tell Saul just leave, just he didn't tell Saul arise and go to a city and you'll be told what to do. No, God told him what to do. So when Luke was explaining this to us right now, Luke didn't give us the full picture, but he gave us the full picture in chapter 26. So if you read the scripture now, you might be thinking, Oh, someone will tell you what to do. But God told him what to do. So in chapter 26, verse number 12, the Bible says, While thoughts occupied. As I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest. At midday, O king, along the road, the Bible says, along the road, one moment. Right. Along the road, the Bible says, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. In verse number 14. And when we all had fallen to the ground, so Paul fell to the ground. You won't see it here. You won't, you won't see it here. Or Paul tells us that he fell, he fell to the ground, but he said in 2026, 20, they all fell to the ground. The Bible says, when we've all fallen to the ground, 
I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in Hebrew. So God, Jesus spoke to Saul in Hebrew. <laughs> Jesus will always speak to you in the language that you know. <laughs> in Hebrew. Saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Is it hard for you to kick against the God? So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. That's what it says in verse 16. Now in verse number 6, it says, Arise and go into the city. In, numbers, in, in chapter number 9, verse 6, it says, Arise and go into a city, and you'll be told what to do. But we read right now that he was told what to do. The Bible says in verse number 16, But arise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and the things which we yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as from the as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you, to whom I send you, to open their eyes in order to turn them from their darkness to light. Now, this will blow your mind. You don't find this in, in, in Acts chapter number 9. But see what, see what the Lord told him. See what Paul, the Lord told Paul in verse 18 of chapter number 26. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. Why do you think Paul had to be blind for three days when the light shone on him? Because God had to put Paul in the predicament of the Gentiles so that he can understand when they are, where they are and evangelize to them. Listen, church. God had to put Paul in the same state, the spiritual state of the Jews, of the, of the Gentiles. These Gentiles are blind. So Paul had to be blind to be in their space to understand the level of darkness that they are. So the purpose of his blindness was to let him know that you're going to a blind people. The Bible says in 18, to open, so this, his purpose was to open the blind eyes. So before I open your eyes, you must sign the contract with me to open their eyes. So God was sending Saul to a blind generation. The Bible says in verse 18, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. So what God was doing to Paul, God was saying, I'm going to shut your eyes like the eyes are shut. Then I'm going to open your eyes so that you can open their eyes. Okay. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So what God did, the Bible says that we do not have a high priest who do not empathize with our suffering. So Paul understood that he had to be in a blind predicament to understand the blindness of the Gentiles. Are you, join, are you enjoying this? So Paul had to be blind to understand the spiritual state of the Gentiles. So Paul understood for three days it was in darkness. And these guys have been in darkness for generations. And the Bible says in verse number, in verse number 6, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, you shall be told. We've already read it right now. His purpose was to go to these people. And the Bible says in verse 7, we're reading still. And the man who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. So there was a voice behind the, 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 behind the shine, just like there was a voice behind the burning bush. When Jesus appears in the form of radiance, or when you find this radiant, there's always a voice. And the Bible says, but see no one. Why was there see no one? Because you cannot have a pre-incarnated Jesus in the New Testament. Pre-incarnation of Jesus is always in the Old Testament. Jesus cannot pre-incarnate again because it's already fulfilled. Does that make sense? So in the Old Testament, you don't just see the voice, you also see the, the person. But right now we see the voice behind the shine. And the Bible says, 
you know, the Bible says in verse number 7, And the man who joined with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. So his eyes were closed, physically closed, now physically open. he saw no one. Does that make sense? So when the Bible says that his eyes were now open, open physically like this, but it was open but cannot see. That reminds me of the Jews. The Bible says that they are in partial blindness. That reminds me, the Bible says, because they refused to acknowledge the day that the Lord walked on a donkey. Partial blindness. Luke chapter number 19. So it, it looks like Paul's eyes were open but blind. And that also looks like the believer as well. There are a lot of believers whose eyes are open but spiritually blind. We have open eyes but blind vision. And that was Paul. His eyes were open physically but could not see at all. And the Bible says, you know, uh, but they led him by hand. They led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. So this thing happened outside of Damascus. So there was no persecution in Damascus. So it happened outside of Damascus. And the Bible says that they led him by the hand into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, without food, without water. Three days. Now we don't know whether he was fasting, but we know that he was blind. As long as he was blind, he didn't eat. There was no sight. There was no food. And there was no drink. It could be possible that he was fasting. Maybe God told him to fast. It could be possible. Now look at verse number 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Not Ananias who died. He didn't resurrect. There was no reincarnation. Okay? This is another Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, I am Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the streets called straight. And inquire of the house of Judas. Not Judas, again, it's not resurrected. It's not incarnated. Okay? One called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. Now Saul was praying. So an encounter. For three days. And in the vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in. So Saul, or Paul, Saul, like we read in chapter 22, Verse 12, he's already seen a vision that someone was coming. And put it in sand on him that he might receive his sight. So Saul already had a vision that someone was coming to lay hands on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much harm, which is true, that he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all those who call your name. Again, the book of Acts is about the name the name but the lord said to him go for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name now this is the part i want to share with you a lot of you will read the bible and then you will say that peter was called to the jews and paul to the gentile that is true but i'll show the reason why that is in, it's in god's providence so the bible says in 15 15 15 but the Lord said to him, Go, for it's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before who? The Gentiles, before the kings, and before the children of Israel. So Paul was called to these three people. In chapter number 22 and 26, we'll find Paul before Felix and Festus and Agrippa. So we find Paul or Saul before kings, preaching before kings about the Gentiles. You find the epistles written to the churches. 
But at what point did Paul speak to the Jews? The question right now, Bible says that God said that it's also called to the house of Israel. Who? So it means that there is a letter that Paul had written to the house of Israel that is in the Bible. So if you look at all the letters of the Bible, which of the letters was written by Paul to the Jews? The letters to the Jews are Jude, James, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. You can use that as well for, for church and them in this passion. 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and Hebrews. Among all those letters he wrote, the only one that was not signed was Hebrews. Who? So therefore it means that there was a letter, if Paul did not write Hebrews, then there was a letter that Paul wrote that was not in the Bible. But let's see what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter number 3, verse 15. Because 2 Peter is actually a book for the Jewish people. So 2 Peter chapter number 3, verse number 15. It says, And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. As our beloved brother Paul, this is Peter writing, is saying, Our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him as written to you. Hold on a moment. Peter is affirming that Paul wrote a letter to the Jews. If Paul wrote a letter to the Jews, then it means, therefore, that there was a letter written to the Jews that is in the Bible that was from Paul. If all the Bibles, writers have their name to the Bible, which of them do not have a name? The book of Hebrews. That is why a few of us believe that this was probably written in the book of Hebrews. How do I know that? Have you looked at the trilogy? The just shall live by faith. If I need to know Abacuc, right? The just shall live by faith. There were three books in the New Testament, or three epistles that has the just shall live by faith. Hmm. The book of Romans, the book of Galatians, and the book of Hebrews. It's a trilogy. If you find the just shall live by faith in Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews, then it has to be the same author that wrote Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews. And who is that Paul? So, so Romans tells us about the just. Hmm. Galatians tells us how they shall live. And Hebrews tells us by faith. So the just, Romans, shall live, Galatians, by faith, Hebrews. So it therefore means that one of the reasons I say it is because there is a writer of the book of Hebrews. Anyway, like we read from scripture, it says here that Paul was meant, or Saul was meant to proclaim the name of the Lord before the Gentiles will see the letter written to the churches. Before the kings, it was bound in chains, but it was before Agrippa, Festus, Felix, and the children of Israel. Then we go into the Pauline epistle. It's interesting that the writer of the, the writer of the book of Hebrews was outside of Judea. Writing to believers in Judea about the persecution. Because the Pauline epistle was to address false doctrines and persecutions. The writer of the book of Hebrews has to be outside of Judea. And Paul was outside of Judea because of the because he was he was afraid that these Orthodox Jews would kill him. Most of the apostles were in Judea at the time, but Paul was outside of Judea. <laughs> and do you know that Paul did not sign it? Because he was writing to the Hebrews. 
If the Orthodox Hebrews read it and see Paul's name, they will not, they will shut the book. They won't, they won't read it. Why? Because they hated Paul that much. As you read in the scriptures in 1 Corinthians, it tells you how they wanted to kill Paul or Saul. Anyway, let's keep reading. In verse 16, for I will show him many things that he must suffer for my name's sake. So there was a prophecy that Saul will suffer for the name of Jesus. He will be bound, he will suffer. I will find it in the closing chapters that he will suffer. The Bible says, And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him and said, Brother Saul! Brother Saul! The Lord Jesus appeared to you on the road as you came and sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Spirit. The Bible says immediately there fell from his eyes something like scale. It was something like scale that fell from his eyes and received his sight at once. And he arose and was baptized. He didn't, he didn't get baptized to be saved. He got baptized because he was saved. And the Bible said that he received the sight when some scale fell off his eyes. And, and, I, and I think that's very important for us, church. If you look at Luke, as Luke wrote the end part of Luke, let's look at Luke chapter number 24. That's the end part. I want to share something with you. Because Luke, writes, Luke talks about his eyes a lot, Revelation. A scale came out of, the scale was the scale, it was a scale called legalism. It was a scale called orthodoxy, or religious orthodoxy, religious legalism. It was the scale that blinded him from the revelation of Christ, and all he saw was the revelation, was the, was the writing of the law. And if you look at Luke chapter number 24, the last, the 24, the last few verses, Look at verse number 28. It says, mm, I could read from before. I don't want to do that right now. Then they drew near to the village where they were going and he indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him saying, Abide with us for it's toward evening. And the day is fast spent. This was after the Emmaus road. And they went into the stay with him. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with him that he took bread, blessed and broke and gave to them. And their eyes were open and they knew it was him. All the while, Jesus was with the disciples on the way from, um, to Emmaus. They didn't know. When he blessed the bread, broke the bread and gave the bread, how did he, how, why were their eyes open? Because they saw the nail, the, the nail, nail, nail piercing. And their eyes were open. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did our hearts not born within us while he talked with us on the road? And while he opened scripture, so they arose that very hour. But it's interesting that their eyes opened. They were with him all this while, but their eyes were shut. And that's what's happening right now. Saul's eye was open to the revelation of Christ. You know, one of the prayers I want to pray for you today, a lot of people ask me, Apostle, how, do you, how are you able to execute scripture? So how do you do this thing? I had scales in my eyes one time too. I was reading the Bible with a very like a literature no revelation no insight no history on the scene of history no context until one day years ago 
I prayed for the scale to drop off my eyes. And if you're here right now and it's like, God, you know what? I want to know more. There were some things I want to know. Make sure you can see me still. The Lord can take the scale off your eyes. And you begin to read the scripture with more illumination. It's a scale and the scale can leave. Just as Paul's eyes was open and the scale was dropped, your eyes also, your eyes, oh, sorry guys, your eyes also, the scales can drop off your eyes. The Bible said, and he was baptized. The Bible says, so when he had received food, he was strengthened. So Paul did not eat until he received his sight. I promise you. Someone asked me one time, Apostle, how do you see the Spirit? I said, how much do you eat your food? <laughs> if you want to see really, leave food for a while. Your food will block your eyes. <laughs> oh, Lord Jesus. But the Bible says that after he had received this food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Now, these guys would be scared. Like, my goodness, this Saul has come to spend time with us. Now, there was some missing link in the scriptures. Oh, yeah, you may not see. Because you don't understand when Paul went to Arabia. In fact, in Galatians chapter number 1, verse 15 to 18. That after this incident, Paul went to Arabia. But let's read. The Bible says in verse number 20. Immediately, immediately Paul did not wait. The same passion he had for God while he was a Jew. Or while he was in Judaism. The same passion he also has right now while he's seen the light. My question, how do you see the light? John tells us that he's the light. The light of men, yeah? Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues. That he is the son of... So Paul, because Saul began to preach, all right, that he was the son of God. See that? We read that now. Then all those who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on the name? So Saul, Paul, Saul began to preach on the name he once rejected. He began to preach on the name he once, you know, condemned. And the people wondered and said, Is this not the guy who preached against the name of the Lord in Jerusalem? And now has, has come here for that purpose? So that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? They were wondering, they were confused. Is this not the same guy? It is not the same guy who condemned us. But Saul, hey, I love this part. Look at verse 22. But Saul increased in the more, all the more in strength. Huh. This is called growth. Spiritual growth. Saul increased in strength. He didn't let anything hold him back. Are you increasing or you are declining? Are you pursuing things up or you're going down where you came from? Paul increased, Saul increased in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus. He debated the same people that he was once friends with. He began to debate them. And, and he said, okay, that when he gets saved, that those who are once your friends begin to want to debate you. But I would say that he was proven to them. And listen, you can imagine having a debate with Paul. <laughs> Paul would just crush, crush you. He was he's the greatest apologist. The Bible says, but he proved he was he was not just debating, he was proving. Listen, he was proven. Remember, at this time, he was proving. He don't have the complete Bible. And the source of his inspiration would have been the Old Testament. But even with the Old Testament and some uh, 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 canon of truth or testament of truth, or testimony of Jesus, because they never saw Jesus face to face, 
he was able to prove Jesus. So you see, Paul knew the law. All he needed was light. But in order for him to come, in order for him to encounter the light, he has to come down from his horse. You cannot experience light if you are still on your high horse. You might have head knowledge. That's what Paul had. Head knowledge of the law. But God has to humble him that it is in my name that every knee shall bow. So you cannot be on your high horse and expect to, expect to have this level of revelation. So Paul understood that head would take me nowhere. And the Bible says, But Saul increased in all more strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that it's Jesus is Christ. Now in verse 23, because everyone knows about Paul now, Saul now, in verse 23, the Bible says, Now, after many days we are past. Now, these days is a long time. And these days was when Paul went to Arabia. If you have your Bibles quickly, you can look at the book of uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, verse 15 to 18. But what the Bible says. The Bible says, Now, after many days we are past. The Jews plotted after many years. We believe it's about three years, or two and a half years, or two years. Um, let's look at the book of um, Galatians chapter number uh, chapter number Galatians chapter number one verse fifteen to eighteen. Galatians chapter number one verse fifteen, rather than fifteen to eighteen. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me to the Bible says called me. Is, it what, is, that, is that what I'm reading now? Sorry, Galatians chapter number four. No, no, I'm correct. Fifteen to eighteen. Yeah, fifteen to eighteen. But when he pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through this grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Paul did not immediately confer or sought consent with men, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So when Paul had his encounter, he did not seek consent from the Jerusalem council. He did not seek consent from anyone, you know, uh, his mentor, if he had mentors as well. He went to Arabia, he went to the desert. It was the time of Paul's school, just like Moses went to the desert. This guy went to the desert. Elijah went to the desert. There was something about the desert. And the desert means the process. And I believe that the reason why a lot of us don't have a fine-tuned message or a message that is a testimonial of the name of Jesus because we haven't been to Arabia. We haven't been to the desert. The man by the name of Philip went to the desert. You cannot be an effective Christian and, es and escape the wilderness. The wilderness is part of your call. The wilderness is part of your training. That's the reason why this guy by the name of Saul understood that he never had a first-hand training with Jesus. There were some things that the apostles knew that he had no clue. And that's the reason why you will hear also it was in Arabia that Jesus appeared to him again. And the Bible says that, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. I went to Arabia and then to Damascus. Are you hearing, church? So he didn't go to Jerusalem. He went to, from, uh, from Damascus to Arabia, then to Damascus, then to Jerusalem. And the Bible says in, in that same scriptures we read right now in uh, Acts chapter number 9, and we are almost there. We are in chapter 23. Sorry, verse 23. Verse 23 says, Now after many days you are past, the Jews plotted to kill him. The Jews plotted to kill him. Alright, I'll show you something in a moment. But their plot became known to Saul. So Saul had some information. 
uh, and that they, they watched the gates day and night to kill him. These Jewish guys wanted to kill who was killing the Jewish guys. <laughs> oh, right. I wanted to kill Saul who was killing the Christians. Now, Saul has been persecuting the church. Now he is being persecuted. It looks like, looks like all goes around, comes around, right? This is not karma, by the way. <laughs> but this guy was being, so God has placed Saul in the shoes of the same people that he was killing, persecuting and bringing to prison, like the Bible says. The Bible says that they what they what this guy. Do you know? The, by the way, let me make it very clear. Do you know that the, 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 our prayer team is called Watchers? Do you also know that there were evil watchers? There were watchers who are watching your gates, but they are watching your gate to kill you. I don't want to sound like. A, <laughs> There were watchers who mount the gate to bring warning to the church. There are also demonic watchers who mount your gates to kill you. So know this, there were watchers. Just as you have Christian watchers, you have demonic watchers. And be very careful of the watcher that is in your space. A lot of churches have watchers. My question is, the members of the watchers in your church, are they for you or they are against you? And the Bible says in verse 25, Then the disciples took him by night, because they were, the Bible said they were watching by day and night, but they took him by night and let him down through the wall. They didn't let him down through the gates. They were watching the gates. There was something about the wall. <laughs> you know the wailing wall. They were by the wall. Rahab was by the wall. So while the men were by the gate watching, there was something by the wall. Mount your wall. Watch us. Listen, ladies and gentlemen. Why they were evil watchers? Be very careful because gatekeepers are by the wall. The purpose of gatekeepers is to watch. See, let's, let's, let's leave that now. But you don't get the full picture here. Because you might read it and say, well, who were the people that were against Saul or the one who killed him? It was the government. It's not just the Jews. It was the government. They wanted to kill Saul. Saul was was a he was a he was a prized possession. They they put up they put <laughs> most wanted Saul. It's the it's government's property. How do I know that? Look at the book of Second Second Corinthians eleven. Let's look at Second Corinthians chapter number eleven. I want to read the scripture for you. It will blow your mind. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, we look at verse 32 and 33, the last verses of 2 Corinthians. In Damascus, he wrote, in Damascus, the governor, <laughs> under Aretas, the king, Saul's issue was not just church, it was political. So became a threat even to the political system at the time. That the Bible said that you read it in the book of Acts, chapter number nine. You might think that it's just the Orthodox Jews that want to kill. So it's not just the Jews. It, they had, there was a letter to bring his head. The Bible says in verse number in chapter number eleven of Second uh, Corinthians, verse chapter eleven, verse thirty-two. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas the king was guarding the city of the of Damascenes with a garrison. Not just to, it was a garrison desiring to arrest me but i was let down in a basket through the window in the wall and escaped from his hands so this thing is not just religious now it's become religio-political 
or political religious religiosity. So there were two kinds of people waging war against Paul. The the governor. It's <laughs> what he wrote. It's what he wrote in chapter number. 2 Corinthians chapter number um, 11, verse 32. In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus with a garrison. Desiring to arrest me, but I was like that. So if you look at the scripture in chapter number 9, you, you, you wouldn't even know that there was a lot of people. It was a garrison. By the gate, a letter was sent from the king to the governor to arrest Saul. But it was led down with a large basket via the wall. That reminds you of Rahab, right? By the wall. That the Bible says in verse 20, we're almost there. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he left Damascus. To now, remember we read in Galatians, right? That after the Damascus experience, he went to Arabia and then came back to Damascus and are coming out to Jerusalem. So he has not met the church of Jerusalem just yet properly. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the, apost the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. Even though they are hearing of his work, they are afraid of him. And did not believe that he was a disciple. Because this guy killed too many people. So I can understand. They didn't believe that he was a disciple. They were all scared of him. But Barnabas, which means uh, son of... Barnabas means consolation. We read it before in chapter number 6 and chapter number 4. We read Barnabas who actually from a very wealthy space and who gave lands as well. Uh, there was issues going on in Cyprus and he sold this land and gave the land to the, the money to the, 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 the church of, of, of Jerusalem. But it means there's something about Barnabas. And I think we need many Barnabases in our churches. We need men of consolation. Paramuthia. People that can console with the church. It's a prophetic gifting. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, gift of prophecy, edification, exhortation, and consolation. The Bible says Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. The disciples rejected him because they thought he was too wicked. But Barnabas, who was an apostle also, took him by hand and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road. So for some reason, it looks like Paul and Barnabas had a previous relationship. They are both Hellenists. Or Paul actually was a, a Hebraist, by the way, obviously. Or Hellenist. Paul was Hellenist, even though he was Pharisee. He was Hellenist because he was born in the Greek culture. Or he bad the Greek culture. And so he had this guy, Barnabas, who was speaking for him and saying that he declared to him how he had seen the Lord on the road. And that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly in Damascus in the name of Jesus. See that? In the name of Jesus, I need to go back to Acts chapter number 9 again. In the name of Jesus, 28, yes, All right. Right, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostle and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, on the road and that he had spoken to him, right, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus, the name of Jesus. So, so Barnabas was saying to the apostles that this guy, you know, had preached to him, had preached in Damascus. Mind-blowing, right? The name of Jesus again. So, he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. So, he became part of the Jerusalem crew, the big boys gang. <laughs> And he spoke boldly in the, again, name, it's always the name, act is about the name of Jesus. 
in the name of Jesus and disputed who? The Hellenists. Who are the Hellenists? The Sadducees. He disputed the same people he worked for. The same people who he stood for. That's what an apologist does. The same, the same thing I used to believe. Now I can defend that I don't believe that anymore. So he deputed the Hellenists. But they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found that, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him to Tarsus. What Caesarea? They brought him to Caesarea, the same place that Philip was. And then they took him to Tarsus, his hometown. Very important. Now, you can imagine the gesture of Paul, Saul. He took a letter from the high priest. He was going to Damascus. He had an encounter with the Lord. And from there, he stayed with the brethren in Damascus for a while. After Damascus, he went to Arabia for about two and a half, three years. And then from Arabia, he went back to Damascus again, preaching the word and proving Jesus as the Son of God. Then later, he came down to Jerusalem. And then the apostle, he came down to Jerusalem. Why? Because the, because the, 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 the governor had, had taken a document from the king, Aretas, and he has brought in a garrison. So he moved at night through the wall and they brought him to Jerusalem. Now he was in Syria. Now he's come to Jerusalem or come to Judea. Jerusalem to be precise. And now what's going on in Jerusalem? When he came, the, the disciples were scared. They didn't believe that he was fully converted. And then what Barnabas did, the son of consolation, held him by the hands and reread again his testimony of his Christological encounter. And he became part of the gang, of the, the Jerusalem gang, going in and out. And then not only was he there, he went back to the same place that he was persecuting the church and debated against the Hellenists, the Sadducees, and the Sanhedrins. And they plotted to kill him. That what did these guys do? In order to spare the life of Saul, because he was an asset to the church, they moved him down to Caesarea, and then finally to Tarsus. Right? They look at 31. Then the churches throughout Judea. Now listen to this. Listen to this. Listen to this. I'm ending soon. Listen to this. Then, now it's gone to Tarsus. Then the churches throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. Remember, you shall be witnesses first where? In Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria, and to the uttermost part. Now the churches in Judea, Galilee, Samaria, had peace and were edified. You may not understand why. How would there be, why would there be persecution and there was peace? What's going on? What is Luke writing about? What peace? The church is being persecuted. What you may not realize in history. I cannot get the name now of the, there was a, a time of a king that, uh, 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 I can't remember, is it Claudius or something like that. There was a king at the time. In this time that the church was advancing, what did he do? He wanted his image to be placed in the Holy of Holies. He wanted his image, Jimmy. He wanted the Jewish practice to defy him as God. Remember the time the temple was standing? He wanted his name, his image to be in the Holy of Holies. He was a Roman governor or a Roman king. Yeah, he was like an emperor. But he wanted his image to be in the Holy of Holies. Because of that, the Orthodox Jews got upset with the Roman system. And the Orthodox Jews says, you cannot, it's called, it's desecration. It's a reminder of 
Antipas Epiphanes, Antipas. And the time of the Maccabeans, the Maccabean revolt, when the, the time of the Hasmonean, uh, where, you know, um, the, the sons of, you know, Judas, you know, Judah, Judas, you know, uh, uh, they revolted against the Roman system because they had what they had, the Antipas, Epiphanes, had put a, 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 a slayed, a, a, a pig, a swine, in the Holy of Holies. And that was one of the revolting that the Maccabeans revolted that they conquered and hence they had the Hanukkah. So Hanukkah is called the Festival of Light. And it was a celebration of light because they, it was a day to commemorate the time that they defeated the Roman system when they decided to kill a swine and put in the Holy of Holies. And in this same time, in the time of Paul, there was this king or this governor, a high-ranking guy, wanted his image to be in the Holy of Holies. Are you hearing? And because of that, the Jews who were fighting the church took their eyes off the church, began to make war with Rome. That's why the church had peace. The church did not have peace because the guys just stopped disturbing them or they just relented. The church had peace because then it became the war between the Orthodox Jew and the Romans because the Romans was now infringing into the temple of the Jews. Are you here in church? The Romans were not infringing because this guy said, build me a statue of myself in the Holy of Holies. And the Jews didn't want to hear that. This is madness. And that led to, that led to the Jews and the Rome butting heads together. So they had, now what happened is that the, the, the church became freed from the pressures. And that's what the Bible said, there was peace and they were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord, in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. So they were multiplying because what happened? The focus had come off the church to Rome. Alright? So in verse 32, we're going to look at the life of Peter. And Peter will read from chapter number 9, verse 32 to chapter number 12. Right. Chapter number 9, verse 22. Now, we told you before that Peter's ministry is going to be from chapter number 9, from this verse 32 to chapter number 12, which means that would have covered Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and from chapter number 13 will be from the outermost part of the earth, which is the man by the name of Paul. All right. But for now, we want to start the ministry of Peter. We have a few, few things about Peter in chapter number 3, chapter number 2, chapter number 1, chapter number 4, chapter number 5, then chapter number 6, then from chapter number 7. So we saw Peter in chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, we read Stephen. But this ministry right now will proper from here to chapter number 12. Now we came to pass, the Bible says, now we came to pass, as Peter went through the all parts of the country, that it came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydia. It came down. Now, Lydia is 12 miles southeast of Joppa. Lydia is 12 miles southeast. Maybe you need to draw this. I've not written a long time. <laughs> all right. Let's do this. Lydia... The map. 
Lydia is south is southeast of Joppa. It's the south east of Joppa. But it's 12 miles southeast of Joppa. Are you hearing? There were a lot of believers there because there would have been Stephen's efforts. Now, it's very important because you're going to hear on that, on that part of the southeast again. That is called uh, Joppa will be southeast. Now, Lydia is about 12 miles southeast of Joppa. But Joppa will be about 45 miles southeast of Jerusalem. And I have a reason for giving you the, the, the mapping. The reason because you need to understand how mission. Because Stephen was the one who evangelized that region. So let's go back to the scripture again. And read the life of... Um, Bible says... Uh, it, it came to pass, it says... That he also came down to saying what in Lydia in Lydia. Now, this was because of Stephen's efforts. There he found a certain man named Aeneas who had been bed reading eight years. It's interesting that whenever, we, whenever you see Peter, it's always a miracle of raising someone who is broken, bed reading or leprous or lame. So this guy, this guy was there for eight years in, in, in Lydia. On Lydia, rather. And, and was paralyzed. And, and, and Peter said to him, Ananias, Jesus, the Christ. Definite article, the Christ. There are many Christ that has come, but he is the Christ. Heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So all who dwelt at Leda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. You find Sharon in, in, in the book of, I think, Second Chronicles or First Chronicles, I can't remember now. So, it's coming to Lydia, which remember Lydia is 12 miles southeast of Joppa. You'll find Peter later in Joppa with Atana in chapter number 10. We often say stuff like the it was Paul who brought the gospel to the Gentile. It's actually Peter. It was Peter who brought the gospel first to Cornelius in chapter 10. Then Paul began to walk from there. It's very important to see the trajectory, or trajectory all the way down from Leda. Now it's coming down to the south. 12 miles, it's 12 miles southeast of Joppa, which is Leda. So it's coming down southeast slowly. So the Bible says in verse number 36, at Joppa. So he's the one at Leda. So those in Leda now are praising God and the message is coming down slowly downward. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And the Bible says at Joppa. There was a certain disciple named Tabitha. Very important. There was a certain disciple named Tabitha. Now that word Tabitha is a very funny name. It's a Sarokadian name. Sarokadian. Oh God, it's a right down. Tabitha. Oh yes. Yeah. It's a Sarokadian. From Syro, from Syria and Kadir. Syria and Kadir. That makes it like Syria Mesopotamia. So that is from it's spelled this way, Syria Caribbean. Okay. The Syria Caribbean, but the Greek name is the word Docus. 
and it's interesting that Docus is a very funny name. Docus means antelope in the Greek or gazelle. Miss antelope or gazelle. That makes sense. Antelope or gazelle. So let's go back to the scriptures again. So it's coming to Joppa. Like I Joppa. Oh, let me draw Joppa. Joppa is 45 miles southeast of Jerusalem. So 45 miles southeast of Jerusalem. So you have Jerusalem. Let's call this Jerusalem, for instance. Uh, okay. Let's call this Jerusalem. It's Jerusalem. Right? The southeast is the southeast. But it's actually 45 miles. So Joppa is 45 miles southeast. So we see that it's coming. I don't know what happened. But are we still there? I went off for a while. Can you guys hear me still? I'm sweating, man. I was out for one minute or... But can, are you guys still there? I'm frozen. I'm almost done now and this is frozen. <laughs> can you guys see me still? I'm back now. Well, praise God. Good. So, if you find the gospel, it's just spreading. Imagine Paul, Saul going to Damascus, and Saul going to Jerusalem, and Saul going to Sharon, and then Saul going, you know, going to Caesarea, and you find Peter now. Uh, you know, uh, you find. Let's let's look at the scripture from southeast. Leader was leader was. 12 miles southeast of Joppa, and Joppa is 45 miles southeast of Jerusalem. So it's going southeast, going south. South is receiving the gospel of Jesus. South receiving the gospel of Jesus. And the Bible says uh, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, a girl, by the way, a disciple named Tabitha, church people, a woman, by the way, a disciple, uh, which translated Dorcas. And Dorcas is a Greek translation for the word gazelle or antelope, which means help. Okay, let's keep going. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds. She has the gift of helps, hence gazelle or antelope. <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting that what people don't realize that gift of helps is spiritual, it's a spiritual gift, not a physical gift. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, you realize that a lot of people think that gift of helps means uh, if you are though, if you are gifted to help. You know, your church wants something, you provide yourself. I want to make food for the church. I want to serve the church. You actually it's a spiritual gift. It's not a, it's a spiritual gift. The gift of helps is a spiritual gift. I like to make food for our church. It's a spiritual gift. So a lot of you are so gifted in helps, but you, you disdain yourself and disparage yourself because you're not gifted in prophecy. Those of us gifted in this prophetic gift is we are looking for this gift of helps. If you're the type that always like to help, share, you're very generous. You like to give money to people, love on people, don't want to, you have the gift of helps. It's a spiritual gift. Are you hearing, church? It's not a it's a spiritual gift. The Bible says that this man, woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When 
They had washed her. They've already washed her, right? You want to bury her. They've already washed her and laid her in the upper room. Again, I said to you, the upper room was a place of space. They laid her in the upper room. Upper room did not heal her. It was Peter who, he, who came and healed her by the power of the Lord. Upper room means a bigger space. They laid her in the upper room. Get what? Upper room was a much bigger space. But the upper room did not heal the woman. And since Leda, catch that, since Leda was near Joppa, Leda and Joppa are very close. Leda to Joppa is 12 miles southeast. And the disciples heard that Peter was a what? Joppa. So Peter, remember Jerusalem, Joppa was 45 miles away southeast from Jerusalem. So Peter was not in Jerusalem. It was 45 miles away. Because we saw Peter healing someone at Joppa. Right? And now, this lady by the name of Dorcas is sick. And now they heard that Peter was working miracles and it's just 15, 12 miles away. And what did they do? And since Leda was near Joppa, the disciples heard that Peter was there. They sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. They sent two men not to delay in coming to them. I'm almost done. Look at verse number 39. Then Peter arose and went with them. And he asked for money. And he asked for you must pay first. And he asked for consultation. He went with them. I wish the church can learn this. He went with them. And went with them. Verse 39. Then Peter arose and went with them. And when he had come, they brought him to the upper room. The upper room did not heal the girl. She's been there. She has the gift of helps. Upper room has no anointing to heal people. They brought him there. And all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the tunics of the garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. So she is gifted to uh, it, um, weave or knit, knitting. So, oh my God, look at Dorcas. So she, they, were, they were crying that she was a, a great help to them. And during the winter, she would make, she weave for them and knit for them sweaters and, and hoodies and, and this thing. And as she's gone and they were all crying, you know. Uh, but, but Peter put them all out. We don't need whalers. We need intercessors. You know, and I think that's a model for us as a church. You know, we cannot afford people who are willing in our ears. They are distractions. Peter understood that they were emotional believers. They're very emotional. Someone had died. I know that you are empathetic and that you are feeling all emotional, but I don't need these emotions right now. I need soldiers. I don't need weepers. I need men that can war, not women that can weep. Are you hearing church? So Peter was giving us a model of a militant church. That someone who is a member of a church had fallen sick and had died. I do not need anyone to come here and start crying in my ears. I don't need one that will cry. I need one that will travel. What did Peter do? Get out. In verse 40, he put them all out. You, in the, you guys in the upper room cannot even pray. He put them all out. They've been weeping and wailing and shouting and screaming. Oh, she made us clothes. Oh, she made us food. Oh, she came and she was. They were, they were giving her testimonies, but cannot raise her up in prayers. And Peter now, vexed in the spirits, can say, "What's what? What the hell? What's going on with you people? What do you do?" Bible says he pulled them all out. Where? Not out of the building, but out of the upper room. 
and his space. What's Peter trying to say? I'd rather be alone in a house that prays than have a multitude who weep. Peter was saying to us that the quality of intercession, I mean, is not based on the multitude. It's based on the one who is willing to walk. They were all on the, in the upper room there crying. No one was waging war. And Peter says, I'd rather be alone in this big space than have a church packed with people but cannot pray. And I believe that is the model of the church even right now. I'd rather be in a church where only one or two can pray and we hold our hands than to be in a church where we just wail and wail and moan and moan and complain and complain and, 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 and whine and whine and nothing is happening. So Peter says, get out. And I believe that that should be the statement, for, statement of the church. If you cannot pray, get out. Listen, the upper room is the place that calls men to intercession. If you cannot pray, get out. Are you here in church? The upper room is not a place to chill and chat. It's a place to release the counsel of the Lord. So Peter said, you guys are joking. Get out. Go down to the dance space. There's room downstairs. Go down. This upper room of our people who know how to release the sound. That's why they were in the upper room praying when the Spirit came upon them. Upper room is the place to pray. But these guys were wailing. And he says, get out from my face. But Peter pulled them all out and knelt down and prayed. The upper room did not heal her. It's a space to walk. I believe every church will have a place called the upper room that call men to prayer. And the Bible says, and prayed. And turning to the body. I feel God here should be teaching. Get out of here. I feel that Mortal Kombat voice. Get out of here. We should be <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> we should use that. Uh, but the Bible says that it turned to the body and said, Arise. It's interesting that the name Tabitha is used of a gazelle or an animal. That's what I mean. That's the meaning in the Greek. And Tabitha is Syria Kavian, which is not a Jew. It's a Gentile. It looks like the church is like Dorcas. The church is used as a symbol of the Lamb. Or used as a symbol of the Lamb, used as a symbol of um, the bride. Yeah. But it's interesting that this girl called Dorcas, the, the church is used as a symbol of a woman. Yeah. She. And the church is like this Dorcas in this state. I like it. What, I, know, I know it's not in, in conjecture, by the way. It turned to the body. And said, arise. I feel like the current church that we have today is like Tabitha, a Gentile church. Not a Jewish, a Gentile church. But this Gentile church is actually like a dead church. Remember what the dead church you find? Is it Tyatara that is a dead church? It's a body. And Peter turned to the body. It's like turning to the body of Christ and Sierra. And I believe right now, as you look at the book of chapter number 9 of the book of Acts, just imagine Peter saying to the body, I'm speaking to the body of Christ, arise. All he said was arise. It was a body that he was talking to. Arise. Arise, body of Christ. Tabitha, arise. Ecclesia, arise. Because we realize that the reason why the church is in so much dilemma, because those that should be warring are weeping. The church did intercessors. The energy of the church is prayers. The energy of a church is the living, breathing energy. The church is only breathing because of prayers. Not willers. And this girl that is like a representation of the church. 
and those around her that should be praying and wailing. And she's on life, or she's not even on life, but she's dead. And what did Peter do? I believe, really, that in order for us to see revival in the body, we have to put out those who are fire extinguishers. There are people in the church that are extinguishers, and we cannot allow them to quench the fire of revival. Peter said, I'd rather be one man standing with fire than have a battalion that are weeping. And it's interesting to say it's arise. And I'm speaking to the body of Christ as well that we have to arise. And she opened her eyes and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And then he gave his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints, you see that? He had called the saints and the widows. The saints were not praying. And the widows, he presented the girl alive to them. Listen. And it became known throughout all Joppa. Very important because Joppa became a prominent place in the moment. It became known all through Joppa. And many believed the Lord. So it was, it was that he stayed many days in Joppa. With Simon again, the tanner. See, Simon the tanner. So you realize that because of this guest testimony, the mission had spread around Joppa, which is 45 miles southeast of Jerusalem. And it stayed in Joppa. Why did it stay in Joppa? Why did it stay in Joppa? Hmm. Where was it before? Yeah... Yeah. And he stayed in Joppa. Why is he put Because something is about to come to him in Joppa. A new mission. If Paul, if Peter had left Joppa, or well, God would have found him anyway. But the reason why, there's going to be something coming. It was from Joppa that the news to the Gentiles was spread into the Gentile world. Where he's going to meet Cornelius. As you look at the life of Paul in chapter number 9, it's interesting how this man who was breathing fire, who was kicking against the gold, and the Bible said that he had an encounter with the Lord and the light shone on his face. The light was not the sun or the moon. The light was actually not the star. The light was actually a person. He had an encounter with that light. And the voice in the light said, why are you persecuting me? And then the Bible says that he went to the house of the guy called Judas. And then Ananias came to him and told him the revelation that he had also in a vision. He ate food, his eyes was open and he drank water. And his eyes was open. And what did he begin to do? He began to preach the gospel. But guess what he did? He went to Arabia for a couple of years, about three years, and then came back to Damascus. And of course, he became an enemy, a public enemy. So much so that the governor at the time was the, uh, uh, took, took a letter from the king of Aretas. And then he was let down by the window. And of course, what did he do? He came down to, you know, uh, um, Jerusalem. And he was in Jerusalem for, kept the, was Jerusalem for a while. After Jerusalem, of, of course, he went to Tarsus and Sharon and all of these things. But it's interesting that later we find the life of Paul, of Peter. And what did Peter do? Peter, we start, start seeing Peter's ministry that he came to a region. But even though we saw Peter in chapter number 8 with Philip, but in chapter number 9, we see the life of Peter because he continues from chapter number 9 and uh, verse 32 to chapter number 12. All we're going to be seeing right now uh, will be the life of Peter. Now, I want to make something very, very, very important now. In verse 43, as I end, because you are there already, in verse 43, don't end with me, just end, end with this. He stayed many days in Joppa with Simon the Tanner. 
Don't read this and just close the Bible. Tanners we are forbidden in Judaism. A tanner was someone who dealt with dead animals. They were forbidden. Tanners are forbidden because they are, they, it's, it's, it's like an abhorrent job. It has to be an abhorrent job. People disdain the job. Right. You know. And that's the reason why it was outside of Jerusalem. Because you cannot be in Jerusalem and doing this job. So it was a job that was, it was an abhorrent job. It's interesting. How Peter stayed with a guy who did an abhorrent job. What was Peter trying to do? Why, was, why did Peter do that? Peter was learning the lesson in the moment. So God first said to Peter, well, you know what? I'm going to deal with you with legalism. He's going to stay with a guy who had an abhorrent job. But later, God will test him with the shit of the animals that will come from heaven. So it's interesting how we look at the life, we look at the scripture, you know, uh, because J Peter was trying to let us know that I am doing away with this Jewish practice. There is a new, better covenant that has come. So he was slowly telling the guys why this might be abhorrent to Judaism and it's not to Christianity. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the end of my teaching today. I believe that this teaching has blessed you. Let me hear from you. If you have been blessed so far, I want to hear from you. This is coming from the Brook Place. We can only do this because we are the Brook Place. And if you are, say you don't have a church, you're looking for a church that will teach you the word of the Lord. Uh, I, I saw someone say, Apostle should do the entire Bible. Yes, that's the vision, that's the plan. Hopefully, by the grace of God, we will be able to complete, able to complete the entire New Testament. But let me hear from you, those of you on Facebook and those of you on YouTube. Let me hear from you. Have you been blessed so far? Now, the next time we're going to be meeting, we'll be meeting on a Tuesday next week, not a Sunday. We're going to be meeting on a Tuesday next week and we'll be dealing with chapter number 10 and chapter number 11 on Tuesday. Then on Sunday, we'll do chapter number. And I want to make it very clear. I will speak to the Bible study team. If I find out that we are not completing the Bible study, um, act as suppose I might steal the Thursday from our Bible study. So you, you might see me depending on, on how I feel on Tuesdays, on Thursdays and on Sunday because we need to finish this thing at the end of November. So I might be stealing from them their Thursday. They'll tell them to borrow me their Thursdays for, for like a month um, because we're going to be in November soon. <laughs> Actually the next time you see me teach on this will be November. Right? Will be November. Uh, no, 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 is it November? I'm not sure. Is it November? I'm not, I don't even know, but yeah, let me see. Um, next Tuesday will be one moment. Yes, the 31st, next Tuesday, the 31st, so still in October. So you will see me teach on this on the 31st and then the 5th of November. Whew! I'm excited. If you haven't already liked our page, like our page and follow us and if you don't have a church that you are part of at the moment you are always free to look us up look look us up the brook place and join us every sunday at 4 30 p.m we are in london 269a barking road if you're looking for a church that will grow you in the knowledge of christ and grow in your revelation gift it is the brook place we are saying to you you want to know about doctrines, history, culture. If you want a serious study as this, if you spend the time, we'll spend almost three hours. Three hours. It is the Brook Place. All right. God bless you. Until then, have an amazing day, an amazing time, and I'll see you on the other side. God bless you. Peace and bye for now.